0: Okay. All right.
1: Pull up the agenda. All right, we will now call the regular meeting of the Juvenile pro, Juvenile Probation Commission to order today is Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. The time is 5:36 p.m. Uh, Madam Secretary, can you please call the roll?
2: President Ariano. Present. Commissioner Brodkin. Here. Commissioner Laco?
0: Present.
2: Commissioner Moses? Present. Commissioner Shorter? Present. And Commissioner Spingola? Present. You have a quorum.
3: Thank you.
1: Moving on to item number two our housekeeping resolution to uh, allow for our teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. Uh, As a reminder to the public listening in or watching, this is our Uh, Resolution, we have to approve before each meeting to ensure that we can meet remotely. Do I have a motion to uh, approve the resolution?
0: So, move motion approved.
1: Right. So I hear a motion by uh, commissioner Moses and a 2nd by commissioner Spingola. Is there any public comment before we vote? Not at this time all right uh all uh can we have a roll call vote at this time
2: president ariano aye commissioner broadkin aye commissioner yes. laco aye commissioner moses aye commissioner shorter aye and commissioner Spingola, aye motion passes
1: thank you so now we can meet Remotely, and uh, just quickly before we move on to item number 3, I know that we just mentioned it, but I'd like to introduce our newest commissioner uh, commissioner uh, to join us. Um, And uh, thank you so much commissioner for volunteering your time and uh, efforts to the San Francisco juvenile probation commission. Uh, Is there uh, maybe perhaps you can give a little bit of an introduction of background for the uh, public as well as for the rest of the commission.
4: Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. And thank you all so much for having me. It's a really exciting opportunity, and I'm I'm really looking forward to working with all of you. Um, my name is Joanna Laco. I I grew up in California. I'm from Sonoma originally. Um, I live in San Francisco, and uh, with my parents and my family and. Hopefully, my 5 year old will not make an appearance um, in this meeting. Uh, Currently, I'm the research director of the California policy lab at UC Berkeley. I mainly do quantitative research on criminal justice issues um, and juvenile justice issues. I use administrative data, the statistics and a public policy background. Um, This my interest in juvenile justice really started in college when I worked um, teaching debate to young people in a juvenile facility. Uh, near where I was going to school, really opened my eyes to the conditions in the facility, um, how incredibly smart the people, the young people, were who were in that facility, and how few opportunities they've been given. Um, and that really changed the trajectory, trajectory of my career. And I've worked since then on criminal and juvenile justice issues, usually from the research perspective. Um, I worked at data an alternative to incarceration program in New York City called Esperanza Hope that was started by the Vera Institute um, before I went to grad school. And then afterwards, I worked at a, a research center on several projects, but one was a multi-year project for the Annie Casey Foundation focused on uh, best practices to keep youth out of the deep end of the juvenile justice system. And over the course of the several years that I worked on that project, I got to visit Jurisdictions across the country and see what probation departments were doing, innovative things that they were trying, and try to document that uh, so others could learn from it. Um, I'm really looking forward to helping improve the outcomes for youth and families in San Francisco um, and working with all of you. So thanks for the time.
1: Thank you, Commissioner. And uh, we appreciate uh, that background uh, into your. Uh, Resume and I also have a 5 year old, so I understand the challenges. So (laughs) um, we will absolutely uh, uh, take note and and, uh, not make any anything of it as we all have been there before. So we appreciate your commitment again to. The commission, and for the time and effort that um, you are volunteering uh, in your free time to serve uh, for the city and county of San Francisco, as well as for the youth um, that uh, come in contact with the juvenile probation department. So, thank you again um, at this time we will now take public comment. This is general public comments uh, for matters that do not appear within the commission's uh, agenda tonight. Uh, speakers will have 3 minutes and I'll just before we open up the line note to members of the public to press star 3 to be added to the line as well as, um, to also ask our commission secretary if we have any. Uh, voicemails or emails
0: No emails. We do have someone in the queue. Thank you. Go
5: ahead. Hi there. Um, Thank you. Good evening. Um, My name is Molly Brown and I'm a community volunteer and a resident of District 1. I wasn't exactly sure how this meeting was going to go tonight and when there might be public comment around the issue. So I wanted to take this opportunity now to thank President Adriano for his service as Commission President. As a regular pre-COVID attendee and now listener, it is obvious that he takes his role seriously and does his best to include the voices of all commissioners, JPD staff, presenters, and the public. His service under 3 separate chiefs has provided him a unique vantage point of the massive changes occurring in juvenile justice. I'm also grateful for his willingness to step down as president, thereby providing the opportunity for new leadership, but also for his willingness to continue to serve another 4 years. I'm certain his years of service will provide valuable historical insight for his peers. Lastly, I'd like to urge the commission when considering the new president to choose someone who has demonstrated the time and commitment to understanding the current landscape of juvenile justice reform. Ideally, someone who participated in the close, the juvenile hall working group meetings and subcommittees is well versed in the policy recommendations and understands the landscape of services available in the community. As we focus our attention on diverting more youth away from formal probation. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you again, president. Ariano.
1: Thank you for those kind remarks. Is there. More general public comment at this time. No, one else in the queue before we close general public comment, I'll just note again to press star 3 to be added to the line. Just give 1 more call for remarks before we move
0: on to the next item.
1: Are there any callers that have been added to the line
0: no one at this time
1: all right we will close general public comment and move on to some more housekeeping i'll note that uh, items four and five uh excuse me item four has uh two uh uh, approvals we are approving the uh meeting minutes for our december meeting on december 8th 2021 as well as our january twelfth, 2022 meeting Um, this is, uh, because we just simply had an oversight and did not include, uh, the, uh, minutes approval at the last meeting on the agenda. So, um, we were not able to vote on it. So, um, do I have a motion to approve the meeting minutes for the December 8th, 2021 meeting and January 12, 2022 meeting.
6: I so
0: move second.
1: Is there any public comment before we. Take a vote on this item, Uh, not at this time. No,
2: no emails.
1: Thank you. And again, I'll uh, just add, press star 3 to be added to the line. Is there any public comment at this time? Still none. All right. Uh, Ms. Silver, can we have a roll call vote on this motion?
2: President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Brodkin. Aye. Commissioner Lako. Aye. Commissioner Moses. Aye. Commissioner Shorter. Aye. And Commissioner Spingola. Aye. Motion passes.
1: Thank you. Uh taking item five now. This is the Juvenile Probation Department's fiscal year 2022 2023 and fiscal year 2023-2024 budget presentation by our Chief Probation Officer. Katie Miller, and I'll note that tonight's agenda is the 1st agenda that has a estimated time uh, for each item. Uh, we I budgeted 60 minutes for this item. Um, so, again, that's an estimated time. We'll try to keep within that uh, time limit, um, But just for members of the public to understand exactly what those new numbers are on our agenda. Uh, so, with that, I'll hand it over to you chief to um, go ahead and. Give the budget presentation. Thank
7: you, Michael, can you give the presenter authority to Maria if she doesn't already have it? So she can manage the slides. Yes, she has it now. Thank you, thank you, Maria. Hey. We're going to try to do it this way tonight with Maria doing the slides. Um, so that I can just talk to all of you. So um, good to see everybody. Um, do you see, can Mary? Can you do the version where people just see the one slide? This one? Uh, we can see both this one, oh, that one. the other one. That great, everybody, <laughs> just that the works. one that works. Just this version. Perfect. Oh. Yeah. This one. Leave it. Whatever is up right now is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Stop right there. Okay, let me know if something weird happens. Okay. No, this is good. Um, So, uh, uh, thank you for the reminder about time limits um, President Ariano. I will try to be efficient in my presentation. Most of this is material that was shared at the finance committee a couple weeks ago, but some of it's also new, Um, but I will take all of us through it um, and um, forgive me if I do a little bit of repetition or present some old information um, for both commissioner shorter and. Our newest commissioner, uh, this is their 1st time through the budget process, and I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, So we will uh, go ahead. Maria, can you advance to the next slide? Thank you. Um, So, we always start our presentation with just a quick nod to where San Francisco is in its fiscal health and for folks um, who sat through these meetings for the last 2 years, you know, that we came in with a lot of. Uh, of deficit, a lot of fiscal concerns, of course, locally and everywhere, as a result of the pandemic. Can you go back, Maria? Sorry, it's okay. You're it's good. Li- uh, you're good. Okay.
8: Yeah. It looks very weird on
7: my my screens. That I'm trying to make it look normal, but looks sorry. Fine. Yeah, it looks fine. Fine <laughs> for me. Um, so, you know, I think that the good news, of course, even beyond the probation <laughs> department and the work of the commission is that the city's fiscal status right now is very resilient. Oh, Maria, you're still going back and forth. You, um, you know, I, we are in a new phase where we're actually forecasting a surplus over the upcoming years um, and that puts us in a really different place in terms of the budgeting decisions that we need to be making and bringing before you in this budget cycle. Maria, can we go to the next slide? Great, so every year, the mayor gives us some instructions and her kind of priorities and values for the budget. And so this year, she's asked departments to really focus on restoring the city's vibrancy recovery accountability and our equity. Um, You are skipping ahead Maria. There you go.
8: I'm really sorry. I'm trying to mute myself and Mike. I don't know if you could mute me for me. That would be awesome. Because every time.
7: There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Uh, so, So the. Nope, go back. There you go. So, the instructions basically from the mayor were to kind of get back to basics. What do we need to do to get our work done? Um, This is the 1st time in 3 years. 1st time since I've been here as chief that the city has not asked departments to make general fund reductions. Um, So, no reductions being mandated for all of us, but also no increases in general fund support going into the next budget year. Maria, next slide, please. Perfect and then just as a reminder, this is the budget schedule and the way it works. So, of course, we got our instructions from the mayor in December um, and we have to turn our budget in uh, by February 22nd. Uh, The requirement is that departments that have commissions have to hold 2 budget hearings, 15 days apart. So those of us, those of you who joined us at finance committee on January 24th know that that was our 1st, public kind of airing of our budget. With some slight changes coming into today, as we kind of tinker along the way, we're here for our 2nd hearing at the full commission. Um, And then, as I said, we submit by February 22nd, the mayor presents her proposed budget to the board by June. 1st, and then June is the uh, back and forth of the budget season with the board then getting its version of the budget back to the mayor and the mayor signing in July. So we're at the 1st step of what is still a long process. Next slide please. Thank you in terms of how we've approached the budget this year. Um, my, uh, my strategy for it was to continue with some of the ways that we approached the last 2 years and then a little bit change as well with a kind of additional layer. So, for folks who've been in the mix, you know, that for the last 2 years, we had some kind of significant priorities as we went through our budget process. 1 of them was a real comprehensive cleanup of probation's finances and our budget. We had a lot of. Things kind of allocated toward um, odd spaces when we first got here. We just had to do a lot of work to really understand where the money was, the history of some of it, kind of historically unspent money. Uh, you'll all remember there were a lot of positions in our budget that didn't have money behind them. So we did a lot of time cleaning up, um, including bringing in the controller's office uh, fast team. We did we uh, hired the controller's office in effect to work with our finance staff um, to do a lot of that work and like. Can't thank uh, Cheryl Taylor here as our interim finance director enough for the work she's done in the last two years on that. The second piece um, was our uh, COVID response. So that there were kind of two ways that COVID affected our budget over the last two years. One was fiscally, of course, having to find reductions in our budget because of the city's financial situation, but also operationally, um, you've all seen how, even with a much reduced uh, group of young people in the hall, we still have had to keep often four units operating to um, stay aligned with DPH requirements around isolating, quarantining youth on their way in, or if they've had exposure or if they test positive, um, as well as increased uh, cleaning time over time for those purposes and some additional materials and the ability to bring our hall online and virtual um, to connect to our families who couldn't visit in person. Um, so we had a lot of that kind of uh, COVID attention in the last two years. And then the last thing, and the biggest thing for me has been how do we right-size JPD's budget? Um, We know when we got here, and a lot of the conversation has been around the fact that as the numbers of young people coming through the juvenile system have gone down in the last decades, that government hasn't necessarily kept up with that decline, probation hadn't kept up with that decline. And so when I got here, I committed to have the department move toward right-sizing through attrition. So not by eliminating people's jobs, but as people leave, The jobs that we don't need not filling those positions. Um, So, last year's budget was the lowest since 2013 2014 for us also the lowest full time equivalent staff numbers in decades. Um, And we've continued to have reductions and so, since I 1st, got here in January 2020, particularly in our probation services division, which is where we saw that misalignment the most. um, The FTEs in that division have gone down 34% in the last 2 years that I've been here. Um, And then finally, folks know that in the last 2 years, through this kind of um, really exhaustive look at our finances, we identified uh, over 9Million dollars actually in unspent funds that the department had been accruing state money that comes to us. Um, And we were able to um, give that money over to the Department of children, youth and families, so that they did not have to cut their grantees budgets during the pandemic, which was really important to us. And we felt an important form of um, justice reinvestment. We continue that into the coming year, really making sure that we're having a clean budget, that we are accounting for all the things in the right places, still being um, cognizant of our uh, COVID requirements, Um, and then really still looking at what is our right size. But I will also add that we've moved from just asking what is our right size to also what is our right structure. So we have a lot of implementation work ahead of us. I'll touch on it in a minute. We have new responsibilities. Trying to be an active partner, a lead partner in the work to do transformation of our juvenile justice system and to advance race equity, both within the department, but also making sure that we're doing that work with other city departments. And of course, shoulder to shoulder with our community partners, and including making sure that we're investing directly in young people and their families. So, with all of that, we've kind of moved to a view of getting to the right size and making sure we have the right positions to do the work that is at hand. Um, I will um, be uh, speaking a little bit later, just as a reminder about some state funding that we have. We talked about at the last meeting Um, and I just want to note that that's not part of kind of the way we think about this budget in the moment. But I'll come back to it at the end of the conversation. Next slide please. So, I'm going to just touch briefly on the the kind of big things that are driving our additional work beyond the day to day operations. And the 1st, 1, of course, is the closed juvenile hall work group um, process and the report. That's actually being delivered this Friday um, at the board of supervisors Um, juvenile probation, of course, is a core piece of the youth transformation work. That's going to be happening here in San Francisco. We want to make sure that. Um, in this budget process, we're centering kind of those efforts and identifying how our budget will need to advance the work and we'll touch a little later on some specific ways that we're investing some of this money in alignment with that work. But close juvenile hall report as a reminder has a lot of things on the table that we will be a part of figuring out actually has 39 different proposals. um, Many of which are focused on how to have young people not in an institution, not in a secure setting. And then some also, of course, on that question of the secure setting um, and many of the recommendations obviously affect the way we do our work and the decisions we make. Um, they relate to you know, when warrants are issued, how long young people are in probation, out of home placement, home detention, all of those kinds of things. And we're very happy to be in that mix. Um, And we'll see in the coming uh, weeks and months, which of those uh, proposals, the board really wants to see action on. Next slide, please. The next big kind of piece of activity and work for us, and not something, of course, that we had originally envisioned a few years ago when we were wrestling with closing the hall is the closure of DJJ at the state level and that realignment of the functions to the counties. Um, You've all heard me talk about it and I'll talk about it again a little bit at the end of my presentation, but the main takeaways right now are that on top of kind of our existing landscape of work, we now um, are responsible as are every county for making sure that we have a continuum of services up to and including a secure setting for young people who previously would have been eligible to be committed to the state That includes for some young people, um, us being involved with them up to as high as age 25, which is a different kind of work than we've had in the past It's dramatically expanded the number of young adults in our juvenile hall, which requires us to think about what that kind of programming and staffing and services should look like. Um, And it's, of course, makes us. Be playing a key role in actually figuring out what San Francisco's plan is. So the state mandates that every county have a subcommittee focused on developing that county's plan. The probation chief is the chair by statute of that group. Um, And that's a lot of kind of important work that we've had layered on to these other pieces. Next slide please. And then the last piece I just want to give a quick note to is what's called AB 12 or our um, youth and extended foster care. You've all heard me talk about this a fair amount. Um, I don't want to reflect on this necessarily as new work, but as an important investment. So, as we have young people coming off of extended foster care, the city, both juvenile probation and human service agency, we are committed to supporting our young people as they exit off of that benefit that they Need and have, Um, and so we have made sure that in the current budgets for the next 2 years, we are allocating funding specifically to help our young people as they turn 21 as they graduate from that extended foster care with moving costs relocation costs. Housing, somebody where we need them and a stipend for those who will need them going forward as they kind of settle into what comes next for them. There's a lot more work to do in that area. But this is kind of our initial attempt to make sure that we are budgeting and can meet the costs of our individual young people as they're exiting this system. Um, I, met, I had this slide up 2 weeks ago, and we were asked about the actual amounts that our budget invests specifically for that in the coming 2 years. So, I've added those numbers here to this slide 134,000 in the year we're coming up on and then 135 and change in the year after that. Next slide please. Um, I've been sharing for the last few years, kind of what our the vision and priorities are that I bring to the work that I think are most important. These are largely the same, but with some changes that we've put in yellow, because I want to highlight them, Um, making sure that we're being cognizant of how we right size and operate the department. Really um, making sure that we're not only centering government agencies and community partners in the conversation, but also youth and families are actually more intentionally included in the conversation. We've added as 1 of our priorities, the need to develop a secure long term setting or settings because of that realignment of DJJ functions from the state to the county. Um, and we have also added that we really want to make sure that some of our reinvestment in juvenile justice funding goes directly to young people and their families. That's been an important part of the conversation happening in many conversations in the city. And we want to acknowledge it as 1 of our priorities. Next slide please. And then we've also brought to you in the last few years, the department's race equity goals. Um, these are the same largely as in previous years. But with a little bit of a change to the 3rd, 1, which is really talking about improving the work, workplace experience of our BIPOC staff. Um, this is a department that still has a lot of need to do that work. Um, and uh, we really want to make sure that it stays kind of central to our internal race equity efforts over the coming year. Um, we previously talked about making sure that we had kind of good off ramps for folks who may lose their jobs as part of the closure of the current hall. But with President Walton, indicating that there won't be jobs lost as a part of that, um, we want to make sure that we're reflecting then how does our workplace operate in a way that is uh, as racially equitable as possible. Next slide please. And then finally, 1 more note on race equity. So I haven't presented on this in a few months. We used to have this be a really regular part of our presentation to you what we were doing on our internal race equity work. You'll be hearing more of it in the future. But one thing that we've really learned is that as you all know, we submitted a very extensive plan on our internal race equity kind of action items um, in the fall of 2020, 2020. Um, also included uh, commitments for you, the commission to do around race equity. And for all of us, it's really been hard to make that work move forward on top of every Wednesday jobs. We've really tried over the last year to do it kind of with everyone else's existing work And we've really come to understand that we need some dedicated staffing for this work. You'll see that in the budget, but I wanted to just highlight that. It's really something that we've seen that we think is an important need for us to do so that we can move forward on healing. A lot of the kind of racial inequities within this department, including really important training cross racial dialogues, and then really um, having a steward in the department to really activate our plan. Next slide please. And that brings us to the actual budget. This is always a real mouthful or an eyeful for everybody. The 1st time you see it. So I want to just draw our attention to what I think are the highlights on this page. And I'll be talking in more detail about these pieces. Um, All of the things I just shared really contributed to kind of our thinking and foundation for this budget. You will see a few things here in these rectangles. The 1st thing you'll see is a small reduction in the top at in in our staffing. Couple things about that for folks who were at the meeting 2 weeks ago, you'll see that it's been bumped up a little bit. That is because of 2 additional probation officer positions that I'll touch on in a few more slides. So, you see some small reductions up there. I do want to note that um, what you'll also see later in the presentation is that some positions are being moved to divisions where we need different kinds of work. So, this is the overall reduction in our, FTEs, but it masks the fact that our probation services division will actually continue to get smaller. The next box down, the next red rectangle, um, shows what's called this kind of project, programmatic projects line item, and then what is work orders to other departments. That's what services of other departments is called. Those will change a little bit in the coming weeks between the two, but really you should look at them as a whole because combined they represent the amount of money that probation will be um, sending to other departments to do a lot of the work that is all really important to us. Right? Most of this will go to D. C. Y. F. Department of children, youth and families to support needed community based services and um, funding for basic needs of families, collective training, professional development. But most of it really is directly to funding services. Um, and so that's a significant increase in prior years and a lot of that is because of that state DJJ realignment money that's coming to us. So I wanted to highlight how much of that is going to other places um, and then at the final box on the bottom I'm just highlighting the three divisions and the allocations among them because folks who've been here for a while will know that historically they didn't make a lot of sense. Um, when the ranch was closed all of those costs and budgeted items kind of fell into the hall juvenile hall line item which was crazy they it's not it just doesn't show like a really accurate allocation so we've done some work to make sure that uh, we've realigned costs to their correct kind of cost centers. Um, So the investments that go to DCYF, the kind of ranch security contract that we still have, all of that is in kind of general, that general line item rather than being attributed to the hall or probation services because it really wasn't the right spot for those. So I just wanna highlight it as a way that we've tried to reflect more accurately what costs what in our work. I'm gonna move off this Slide, and we can always come back to it, of course, Um, but I want to move us to some kind of content that uh, explains some of it. And then, obviously, I know it's it's often the slide where we have a lot to talk about next slide please. So, these next 2 slides basically just show um, the allocation all the money kind of coming into the department and then for the general fund money, how we spend it. So the um, circle on the left is all of our funds coming in. All of anything that's not olive green is actually state money that comes in. We get a variety of state funding for a variety of purposes. Some of it is the money coming in because of the closure of DJJ. Others are funding sources we've received over the years, some of which go over to Department of Social Youth and Families, some which stays with probation. But so those are a whole range of kind of um, annual dollars that come to San Francisco and to every county of those types of fundings. Um, And then the olive green, of course, is our general fund money, and you can see that then broken out into that smaller pie on the right. So, you'll see that, you know, the largest share of it goes to juvenile hall, and then to that general administration, and then the smallest amount to probation services. And you'll see how that mirrors our FTE counts in those divisions as well. So, this is coming up on the year that we're heading into 2223 and then you'll see a small shift in 2324. you can advance through 2324 little bit shifts, but same general principles and then we'll move to the next slide. And then just reiterating that, that that kind of what you saw visually. So the general fund amount that comes into us. About 32Million, and then all of those other kinds of funds that come in the youth offender block grant. We'll be talking a little bit about that more today. What's called the juvenile probation activities fund. Again, that juvenile justice, DJJ realignment money, Um, and then some kind of miscellaneous funding. We get money for training for our sworn staff and this little bit of money that's called kind of reentry money. That's for young people coming back from DJJ, so it will disappear in the future because we won't have anybody coming back from DJJ anymore. But basically, you can see that, you know, um, there's no target reduction in general fund dollars It's staying consistent. And then there's a lot of this other funding that is continuing to increase and give us opportunities to think about how we invest it. Next slide please. This is a new slide added after our finance committee presentation. It was some information requested by commissioners asking for the relative breakdowns of FTEs across our divisions. And so you can see how this translates to the pie charts that I just showed you with the largest number of staff being at the hall 2nd, largest number in administration and a little bit less in probation services. Um, I want to note that administration actually includes a lot of different uh, departments with divisions of the department. It includes our buildings and grounds crews, our finance division, our human um, HR division, IT, and our research and planning division. They all wind up under administration. And then I also want to note that the juvenile hall figure um, not only includes the counselors, counselor two, senior counselors, the cooks, Uh, the laundry folks, the Porter barbers, all of those kinds of roles, but it also includes some on call positions. So we have some folks who are on call kind of as needed counselors. We only reach out to them when we have a shortage of staffing, but they do get rolled up into that FTE number. So I want to acknowledge that. Next slide please. This is another new slide that we've added since the finance committee presentation with information that I think was requested by the commission. Um, And it shows over the last few years, what the relative staffing has been of these divisions and then going into the next 2 years. So the 2 bars on the right, the gold 1 and the lighter blue are going into the next 2 fiscal years. And so you can see kind of where we have been trending and then moving forward. So, you'll see that we are continuing in the next year, you'll see some movement, some continuing reduction in probation services, and then a little bit of a bump up in the general administration division. And I'll be talking about that in more detail. Next slide please. And then this is another new slide that we added after our finance committee meeting um, based to try to meet some of the uh, data requests of the commission. Um, So I think that commissioner Brodkin was the 1 who asked about caseloads of probation officers over time. Uh, as we all know, the number of young people on probation's caseload has been dramatically reducing over the last couple decades, but also significantly since the beginning of the pandemic. And um, you can really see that drop off from December twenty nineteen through December twenty twenty one. And so this slide shows that while the numbers of youth have declined, our PO numbers are um, and our PO numbers have also been declining through attrition. And this means that our caseload numbers, which is that. All of average caseload bars have actually remained somewhat consistent. Um, So, at this point, the average caseload today is right around this number here on the right. 17 per PO. Per case carrying um, uh, staff person. So that includes our POs and our social workers. I should note, Um, you'll see that since 2012, there's been a 63% decline in our caseload and a 54% decline in the number of case carrying staff. So, what it means is that the, the orange numbers have come down again, the green has stayed the caseload average has stayed fairly consistent. I do want to note that this doesn't account for the non case carrying probation officers that we have in the department. I know that's kind of a hot topic. Um, so we do have some cases, some, so some of our probation officers carry cases and then some have other functions that includes our court officers our on duty probation officers our training officer. Um, the officer who's in charge of our child and family team meetings, and the POs that handle uh, record sealing functions. So those are not included in this because they don't carry cases. Next slide, please. So I want to talk a little bit about the changes we're making with some positions in the budget as we go into the next year. Um, You know, we've worked hard to internally adapt and shoulder new responsibilities. But, you know, we know that we want to make sure that we do have enough kind of manpower, women power, person power in the department to make sure that we're meeting all the needs that are coming our way. I do feel like we've been kind of cautious and conservative in building out our internal team. We've relied a lot on the generosity of Department of Children, Youth, and Families to help us with grants, to help us put out RFPs. Um, We've relied when we can, as you know, on purchasing services from the controller and other departments, Um, but we really do want to make sure right now to achieve the vision and priorities. We have that we have the appropriate internal capacity. So there's a few changes that you see here. We are changing converting four vacant positions that are right now in the probation services division into other positions to meet some of these needs. So I'm going to start with the conversion of a um, vacant supervising probation officer position to a new position in the department. We've never had this. before. Well, in, at, well, I've been here. We haven't had this, which is a social work supervisor. So folks know that um, the young people we have on AB 12 status are extended foster care youth. They are not on probation. They are uh, supported by social workers on our staff, a great team of social workers. Um, and so we've decided that moving forward, we want to have them those social workers supervised by a social work supervising social worker, rather than a supervising probation officer. I think it aligns more with the intent of that function that social worker will be able to also provide supervision services like actual clinical supervision to the social workers below them. So, it's a, it's an important shift for us. Um, I do want to note that this doesn't mean that I think we, that our, that team hasn't been doing a great job with Kwanzaa Morton in the lead as the acting supervising PO over that team, especially in the last few months when they've had really intense new work kind of facing them. Um, so, I want to give him a big shout out for the work and note that uh, going forward, we do want to shift it, like I said, to a social worker, because we think it's a more cohesive unit. So we'll make that, that shift. Um, I also want to note that a 2nd, vacant supervising probation officer position, we're going to shift over to become kind of the racial equity coordinator for the department. There are a number of city departments that have built that position into their team in the last couple of years with this new mandate from the city to be really conscious about our internal race equity work. And we feel the need, like, I already mentioned to really make sure we have that champion um, that steward of the work here. And then 2 deputy probation officer positions that are vacant, we're going to also make a shift with. So we're converting 1 to be a training officer. That position will no longer be in probation services. It'll be in our HR division because it really is for the whole department. Um, And so I think that's an important shift for us to make. There's a lot of training obligations for our sworn staff. So our probation staff, our hall staff, but we also want to make sure that across the whole department. We're all being trained in our kind of mission driven necessary training. So, I'm excited for that position to be there and then we're converting a for of the other vacant deputy probation officer position to a senior administrative analyst. They'll be in the research and planning division working under Maria to really coordinate a lot of the different work. That's coming our way through all these processes. I also want to note that we have some position and or funding eliminations coming up. So. Um, this will be the 2nd year that we don't fund the assistant chief position folks who've been here longer know that when I came here, we, I had a wonderful assistant chief who was already here. Paula Hernandez. Um, Paula retired last spring, and I went into this budget year committed to not funding that position because of our small size as a department and kind of trying it out. The position is still in our budget. I don't want to I don't I think it's premature to get rid of that, mm-hmm. position, but, but we don't have funding in it. Yes. Okay. I'll keep going Um, and then we have some positions that we are eliminating food service worker, a cook and 2 vacant deputy 3 vacant deputy probation officer positions. Folks who were here 2 weeks ago will recall that at the time we had 1 deputy PO position listed, but we have 2 others now that we know will remain vacant. And so we will be eliminating those from our budget next slide please. And then I just want to note quickly that part of what is in the budget, even though you're voting on it, is actually sits in the control of another body. So the money that comes from the state for DJJ realignment, for the closure of DJJ, um, the, as I already noted, there's a local subcommittee created by statute that develops San Francisco's plan for how to spend that money and San Francisco's plan for DJJ eligible young people. So that group did a lot of meeting this fall. You've heard me present on it. You've heard me present on the work. We've shared the plan. Um, But what is significant is that they've done the work of allocating how that money will be both for the current year that we're in right now, but also going forward. Um, So that group, as you remember, decided that we're gonna um, do some investment kind of across the continuum of young people, whether they're in the community, in placement or in secure setting, and then also determined that we will be using San Francisco's juvenile hall, at least for now, as our secure setting. So that was kind of the outlines of the plan they developed and then the funding they've allocated to support that. Next slide, please, Maria. So, the group decided last fall how to spend the year 1 money that we already had. That was about 807,000 dollars. And these are how they decided to spend that 1st year of money. This isn't in the budget right now, but this is just the background. Of what they decided for the year that we're in right now, they decided to spend the money on credible life messengers, credible messenger life coaches, whole family support, flexible funding, and collective training. That's for kids across the system, whether they're in secure setting or not, and then to also allocate some money in the secure setting in our um, for kids who have those long term commitments now locally because the state is closing down. To make sure we have kind of a pool of funding for that small number of kids. There are 3 right now, so that we can actually broker and get for them, whatever individual services they need at this time. So, that was how we decided to spend this year's money. That money was put on reserve by the board of supervisors last summer and has now been taken off reserve um, so that we can start spending it. Next slide please. And then, um, In between, when we were with you at finance committee and today, the subcommittee also voted on how to spend the next year's money. And so just wanted to share that going into next year. It's in the budget. You saw it incorporated. There is about two point three five million dollars. And so the group decided um, a couple of weeks ago to continue a lot of the priorities that you saw in that year 1 spending credible messengers, whole family support, direct funding for young people. We added in making sure we have allocations for some restorative justice programming Um, and then some more funding for kind of individualized services for the young people who are in a secure setting, including step down support as they leave the secure setting. So they've kind of expanded the universe of the ways they want to use that funding. And then some of the funding also goes toward making sure we have the human infrastructure to manage all the funds. So a little bit of money to support some staffing. Department of children, youth and families, and at juvenile probation to make sure we can get the work done, but the vast majority of it going directly to services. And that is in the budget for you as part of your budget, but has already been voted on by that subcommittee. Next slide, please. This is also an additional slide that we created since the finance committee meeting. One of the questions that was raised was, how does our budget align with the closed juvenile hall work group proposals? I think that there's kind of two different questions we can talk about in terms of budgets, right? One is going forward as the board picks proposals that it wants to see made into effect, what are the budgetary implications, not just for probation, but for all implicated departments? Are there budget implications for the public defender, for the DA, for the court, whose budget is the state budget and not our local one, for the police, right? That's, we're not kind of ready yet to start digging into those questions, but we did want to show you how we how investments we're making now we think do align with the ideas and some of the recommendations coming out of that process so a lot of the proposals are around community alternatives making sure that we have what we need in the community there's some conversation about making sure money follows young people in the community so again some of the ways that our djj realignment subcommittee has chosen to invest those funds i think really do align with that intent and spirit i'm really happy about that Um, You can see what that is right now. It's about 377,000 dollars. There are proposals in the closed juvenile hall work group report to make sure that we are reducing reliance on detention for young people going to placement, Um, making sure that we have community alternatives and folks who've been here know that we're very happy to be making an investment in more foster homes, resource family homes in the community um, through a contract with alternative family services. And so you see those amounts up there. And then we all know that there's been conversation about really rethinking um, how we assess young people, what uh, kind of collaborative case planning looks like for young people, having this kind of well-being um, advocate out there for young people. And so we'll talk about it later tonight, but the money that we have allocated to that third sector planning process um, really does represent to me kind of being directionally consistent with those goals. So, some ways that we've allocated dollars in alignment with a lot of the priorities and values in the plan. Next slide please. So, finally, last slide when we were all here in December, and then again, in January, we talked a little bit about the fact that we had last year, we received more money from the state in what was called the youth offender block grant funding stream. than we had budgeted for that we had anticipated. So, we came to you in December to share that we had more money and that we wanted to hear kind of the will of the commission on how to invest it. At that time, you, the commission um, gave us the green light to invest some of that money to keep the Catholic charities boys home that group home that STrTP open through the end of the fiscal year. But there's an additional 919,000 dollars kind of sitting in our budget that none of us had anticipated that we are also going to be still looking to you the commission for some direction on. It doesn't need to happen tonight. You don't need to make that decision tonight. Um, It will go into our budget in that line item that reflects kind of a transference over to the Department of children, youth and families so that it will go to community in whatever model you decide you want to um, have us invest in. We just wanted to list some of the different things that have come up as possible uses for that money. Folks have talked about expanding the hours that the CARC operates or the way it does its work. Obviously, conversation, like, I just mentioned about developing a well being kind of advocate program in the city to as part of this new model for our young people. There's been conversation about investing in our families, relative placements. When a family steps forward to be a placement for um, a relative, a young relative of theirs, making sure they have the money that they need to support that young person and themselves. Um, we talked about there's been conversation about whether there's a need to invest in kind of immediate and intensive case management for unaccompanied minors who get to our front door and then finally do we use this these dollars to keep making sure that something like the Catholic Charities boys home continues after this year you know do we want to make sure that we're setting them aside so that we could have a STRTP a local group home uh, be financially solvent and continue after the the end of this fiscal year, like I said. So those are all some ideas for you, but I don't think they need to be discussed tonight. For tonight, we just need to know that you want us to keep that funding in that line item to be kind of dedicated later to community-based organizations. So that is the entirety of the presentation. Um, I will uh, stop for questions, and then I don't know, um, President Ariano, if you want Maria to take it back to that slide. Of the budget or any others,
1: we'll wait for your cue. Thank you, Thank Chief, you. Um, and I appreciate you uh, and the team over at the department making uh, some of the uh, recommendations and changes that um, myself and uh, Commissioner Shorter have requested at the Finance Committee. I really appreciate it. I, I do think it was helpful for context in um, just making the presentation um, more rich, and I think uh, understanding just the Entirety, I guess I would say of uh, the budget picture from an FTE perspective and from. Um, from uh, how it aligns really, I, I love that slide about how it aligns with some of the recommendations. I thought that was very helpful. So um, I don't have any questions, but I'll just hand it off to my fellow commissioners to see if um, they have some. I see uh, commissioner Moses has his hand raised. Go ahead. Commissioner.
9: I have 1 quick question. Thank you very much for job Well done. On uh, on the budget, I look at um, the commission budget. I see. On 6 and um, full time, could you. Explain just briefly on that.
7: Sure. The point 6 full time is Pauline <laughs> easy answer. Easiest answer. I'll give all night. So that's Pauline's time being your commission secretary. So, it's 0. 0.6 of a position.
9: See always being like that, you know, 0. 0.6. Um,
7: Full time, I, um, uh-huh.
9: I'll defer to Pauline, but I think the answer is yes. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. I look like she's doing more than you know part time. I thought she's there full time, but I'm shocked to hear that it's only there, you know, that. Okay, so I have a couple of other questions, but I'm just going yield to the other commissioner, then I can come back. Okay, just for you.
1: context, Commissioner. Um, just in my experience, I believe that sometime maybe around 5 or 6 years ago um perhaps Pauline can elaborate um there was a full time position um, for our commission secretary but um because of budgetary constraints during i think maybe one of the financial crises that we had um during that time it was uh the decision was made to i think reduce to half time so i think that's where that 0.6 uh FTE comes from
9: and now 6 years ago
1: Roughly, I want to say um, Pauline is that do you remember exactly when it happened?
2: Actually, I've been with the department well, with the commission for 12 years. So
9: it was before that. Oh, okay. I see. Got it. Well, maybe we should revisit
0: that sometime soon. You know, if it's not, if the train has not left the station. Other questions or comments on the presentation. Commissioner
1: Brocken? I think you're muted, Commissioner.
6: Can you tell that I raised my hand on this thing? I I I never know quite how to do it, so I I raise. I always
1: forget to bring up yeah. the uh, participants tab. So yeah, it, yeah. It is, I, I see I, it, and I, I, I see I see your hand as well, Commissioner Spengel. I apologize.
6: I, I I forget to do it. So <laughs> I have a lot of questions, and I don't want to spend um, to uh, all our time doing this, but. Um, I do like the approach that we are trying to figure out how to re- restructure this but recognizing uh, you know I guess I heard flexibility in your thinking about all of this because I'm looking at sort of entering a new era <laughs> with the implementation of the closed juvenile hall report which I know uh, uh, some of which has started but which cause you know calls for reduction of kids coming into the system, reducing the amount of time uh, young people are on probation by a lot, Um, you know, having. Informal probation handled by CBOs and not probation officers. So I guess my question is. We need to have enough flexibility so that as we roll all these things out. Because the only way that's going to happen is we move money from 1 place to another. <laughs> um, and so. I, I guess I want reassurance from. Our chief that a, a sort of recognition that that. Could have profound effect on, you know, how many probation officers we need, uh, um. And what really makes the most sense in terms of caseload size when we start changing policies about how long young people are on probation, et cetera. So, um. And yeah, that's the biggest point I have. Um, and then I just would like. Clarity again, how we got from 42Million to 48Million are around those numbers. I know you explained it, but somehow I don't feel like I could explain it to somebody else.
7: Sure, um, so, uh, let me start with the 2nd question and I'll have Cheryl Taylor. Correct me if I. Below any of the fiscal answers well,
6: and let me just finish. I have 1 more question yeah, sure. so that I just, um. You know, we've talked about this equity person, (laughs) I I guess I'm trying to get a feeling like, what are you trying to do? Or what do you anticipate? Because what are you saying that the way staff treat each other? The way supervisors treat their staff, the way staff treat young people. Are you anticipating different kinds of people moving into different positions? Are you are you anticipating promoting different kinds of people? I I mean, I, I think it's. Okay, to have a full time person oversee this, but I don't have any sense in a concrete way about. What 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 does the end of the not? There's no end. There's never
7: an end to this, but what does um, a next step look like? Sure, um, so on the increases issue, I think that the answer is um, I think that the re- the best answer is that. You know, because positions inherently increase over time, that even if you're holding things steady, there's going to be a na- the general the base budget that we're told to budget for each year is going to account for the natural increases in staffing costs, right? So, as um, you know, fringe benefits and salaries, you know, those are all in a structure. So when the city tells us how much we have each of those years, it's including. Those oh, yeah. anticipated increase. That's one piece, and then the other piece is the state funding that comes in, right? So we saw a significant increase in that DJJ money coming in. So last year the DJ money was eight hundred thousand. This coming year it'll be two point three million, and the year after that it's almost four. So you're seeing that reflected, and that's that that's that money coming in for that specific purpose. So those things combined, you're seeing us grow. But it's also why you're also seeing that line item of money, going to grow, right? Because of the way we're allocating some of those increases. Um, On that, uh, and then on the 2nd question, um, or on the 3rd question, I feel like I'm on that old TV show quiz show. I'm on quiz show. Um, I'll take your 3rd question next commissioner. And I'll say that, you know, the question about the equity person is an important 1. so. Um, folks who were on the commission last year will remember the incredibly extensive internal race equity action plan that we were required to submit to the city. I think it was about 40 pages long with a whole variety of goals and action items. Some of which were generated by the department many, many, many of which were actually generated by the city um, and they look, you know, they require us to look at our. Um, hiring our promotion, our discipline, our recruitment, the kind of internal culture, who we're lifting up with professional development, who are not um, as part of it. We we're asked to do kind of a, uh, an internal survey each year of the experience our folks have had working in the department. And what we really see is that, you know, there is just, there are deep histories and legacies across the city, right? Of really, really seeing our BIPAC employees and particularly our black employees so far below when we look at who's been given promotional opportunities so far more extreme when we look at how people are disciplined. There's actually a really good report that we can share with the commission that came out. I'm going to ask Cheryl Taylor if I get this wrong. I want to say Cheryl last summer. That was commissioned for the city, really looking at these impacts across departments. And the departments that have more BIPOC staff are places that feel this the most. And as you know, we have a very high proportion of BIPOC staff in this department, actually, pretty close to the young people we serve. So there's a lot of history there. A lot of the pieces of that um, plan that we submitted to the uh, city, to the Office of Race Equity involves really complicated things analyses over history of how your department's done certain hr decisions what are your policies how do you do those things so it's a tremendous amount of work just those pieces and that's why this position actually will be located in our hr division that's where they'll be anchored but a lot of the rest of it is really focusing on conversations that really need to happen about having kind of a, a, an inclusive and comfortable workspace for everyone. So I will say, candidly that the feedback we've gotten from staff over the last 2 years has reflected dramatically different experiences working at this department for people of different races. Period they've had different experiences and so there's a lot of conversation and healing that needs to happen. So it's the converse, It's the combination of somebody who can hold. Those many, many, many tasks that are in that work plan. Again, many of which are actually generated by the city, not even by the department, right? as well as the individual needs that this department has tailored and identified as some of our additional goals. So, all of those things need to happen. There's also, again, things that we have to be like making sure we're doing for all of you. There are things in that plan, the, um, your board and commission is a part of everyone's race equity plan. So there are specific things around the training. We want to make sure that you're all getting the support you're all getting. And we just haven't had the ability to do that with our current staff and I would say that I actually think 1 of the great failings often with race equity work is that we expect people to do it on top of everything else and it doesn't really honor the work and it doesn't honor. um, The fact that people already have jobs, right? And so I think it's an important step that I recognize by the city really making sure that we are able to meet this need, um, and I think we need it. We tried for a year to do it without it, and we're not making progress. So that's kind of my my response on it. In terms of your first question, the biggest one, what I would say is this. You know, we submit two budgets to you at a time. That's how the city does its budget. We know that the 23-24 budget could dramatically change, but we have to give you two at a time, right? That's in our charter, I think. Um, you know, the the examples that you raised, I think, are exactly the kind of things that we don't know yet how they're going to play out. Hitting an 80% reduction in the number of young people, from what starting point? We're already down 67% over two years ago for new cases coming in. I don't know how much further we go down, right? The young people coming to us more most often now are getting booked in for, you know, quite serious offenses. So I think there's already been a lot of diversion happening. We don't know what the final number will be. And then there's things that we don't have control over. I think that the probation, the term of probation that you raised is like the best example, because the city can have a policy and at the end of the day, the court orders how long a young person's on probation. That it's, it's their purview and authority, period. Um, and they also, in some cases, can order, in all cases, can order to us the kind of supervision, the level of supervision they may require. So there's gonna have to be a lot of time and conversation With those other partners that hold that legal authority before we really know where we're going to shake out on what is the average length of probation for kids. You know, do we change the nature of it? It's going to just require a lot of conversation and really being mindful of who holds that legal power right now. So I don't think we know right now what that will look like going forward. You know, what I can offer you is my continued. Commitment that as we see changes in the work that we make shifts, right? Sometimes internally, and then sometimes moving funding out, increasing the ways we invest in community, increasing in those line items that you saw highlighted in the budget.
6: But if, for instance, the board of supervisors endorses the report, and there are things in it that you don't have control over, and maybe even they don't have control over, I, I certainly hope. We aspire to <laughs> have those things happen mm-hmm. and will aggressively advocate and negotiate to see that our partners, even if we have no control over the judges are educated and understand the rationale and understand this is a policy of the city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, know. Okay. Yeah. Just to sort of say, well, that's somebody else's, you know, No,
7: no, I I completely agree with you. And, you know, and I'll say part of our analysis that we've been doing within the department. um, You know, partly in preparation for Fridays, like kind of understanding of it all at the board of supervisors, but also for ourselves is to identify who are the decision makers for each of those 39 recommendations, not as a barrier, but as who needs to be invited to the table.
6: Right, and I just want to ask what is it? Didn't we already have a training director? Why do we need another 1?
7: So, we have Kwan's so Quan's has been doing it for the last few years and so he'll be going back to his probation work. Yeah, so we're shifting that position into HR. He'll be going back to doing probation work. Um, I think that it sits better at HR than having him do something that is fundamentally not direct probation work.
6: Hmm. Okay,
0: Mr. Spingola, did you have your hand raised
3: before? I did, I did, I did. President Ariano, thank you. Um, so, uh, uh, Chief Miller, I was just wondering. I want to go back to where we first did the general funds and the stabilization of young people getting into a reentry program and helping housing. Um, that is real big when we talk about reentry and young people coming out of structured situations, right? Um, who controls that? I know, and I see it wasn't much. It was one hundred and thirty-four thousand dollars. Who? I mean, what is the process for young people to? That how is that money allocated when it comes? And who is the housing already? Fixed are the housing already found our young people, because I think it's real big when we talk about young people and reentry and how they get placed into housing for themselves, especially with our transitional age of youth, right? Like, do they go right into in a building? And how because I from what I've been getting, it's like, oh, every time I ask them for something, I never get the funding. I never get the money. It's so many, it's so much process they have to go through to get uh uh, a down payment to get into the house, the rental assistance, and all that stuff. So, who controls that piece? Is it the probation officers, or is it is it a department piece that they have to go through? Because they seem like it's so much red tape trying to get get in placed into a, a space.
7: Sure, it's a great question. And so, and so, you're talking about that extended foster care slide. And I will say there's 2 places in the budget that I want to highlight where there's going to be that kind of step down. Right? And that's 1 of them. So that's for a very specific group of young people. It's for young people who, in the coming months are going to be exiting that extended foster care. And we know the numbers of young people coming up doing that. So, and they're working with our social workers. So the social workers are working with them. To figure out once they get off of that extended foster care benefit, where are they going to live? Um, And so we went through this in December, right? With a large number of young people that exited the system all at once. Um, And we were able to find placements for them. They were living with family. In some cases they were living on their own. Right? They had different kinds of housing. And we could find housing for them, but they still had to get there. They still had to move there. Some of them had to put things in storage to go live somewhere else and a number of them. Really, really, we're going to need ongoing financial assistance. So some of them knew they were going to have continued housing paid for subsidized. They weren't going to have to be out of pocket, but others all of a sudden actually needed money to be able to pay for where they were going to live. So, for that 1st, group that exited in December, the um, human service agency actually covered the costs of that that ongoing kind of stipend for them. We did dig into our budget for this year and pay for moving costs for a number of them. What we've done this time, Commissioner, is we've looked at the number of young people we know are exiting out of that situation in the coming year, and we've based on kind of average moving costs and things like that. We've made those estimates. So it's in our budget. The way they actually get the money is that we work order it to Human Service Agency, and they cut the checks for the young people. There's not a lot of red tape. It's actually very easy process because they're already used to giving them regular inc- regular money. This group of young people—they already give them their regular extended foster care every month, so it's not a hard leap for them to also now pay for these things. So they already get For the moving costs, we just pay for them directly, so they get it. So if they have to move, we hire the mover and we just put the bill. So they never even have to deal with the bureaucracy of paying for it. We make sure we do that, cover that cost directly for them.
3: But they already in the system where they get automatic. They've been—they've been been getting stipends for something else.
7: Right, and so this, so we already know how to keep giving it to them and then that, but I also want to highlight that's just 1 group of young people that's different from young people who may be reentering from being in, like, the secure facility for a long time. And so that's why part of what our um, DJJ realignment subcommittee decided to do is allocate some of that state money starting next year to make sure we can support transitions out for that group of young people. So, that's a 2nd allocation and so I would say on that 1, I'll come back to you with kind of the actual plan for how it's going to work and how we make sure that money gets into young people's hands or to the, you know, people who house them or the programs that serve them more directly. That's, that's something that we're still very much figuring out the young people who have been committed to long terms in our hall right now. Um. Unfortunately, because of the nature of those commitments, we we have some time to figure that out. They will be with us for a while, but we wanted to make sure we had some money there for them, for so that when we start planning for them, we know we have the resources.
3: And that and that's important too, because reentry it stops the the cycle of you know like because stability and having something to to go and just knowing that you have you know um, something waiting for you. And you're not just going in somewhere where people don't want you uh, and just going, you know, yeah. I mean, that's important for especially for young people who's been in a structured facility yeah. for so long. How do you readjust to going into society, too? No, no, that's a good thing. So I just wanted to know because I heard about it and I just was wondering how it worked. Yeah,
7: thank
3: you. Other questions or
0: comments? Uh, Commissioner Moses, see your hand raised again. Uh, Commissioner, you're muted, I believe she if you don't mind, can you go back to
9: division and priorities? Just 1 minute.
7: I'm sure Maria, can you put that up? And while you're putting it up, um, President oh. Ariano, um, Commissioner shorter has her hand up on the side. Oh, I'm you. sorry. No, no, no after out okay. <laughs> <front> of you, Want <laughs> to make sure he knows. Right.
1: Thank you, Chief. Uh, I'm always bouncing between the screen and the participants' uh, list. So, um, I guess uh, go ahead. Are we? Oh yeah. Taking Commissioner Moses? There you go.
9: Yeah. Okay. If you look at the one, two, three, four, five, where it says keep youth in their communities and provide safe alternative, and so on and so forth. That's one question does that mean that uh, it's kind of broad? Can you be specific on that? Does that include the um, grandparents who care? you know do you think that could be a pro- is there a provision for them already? Then we yeah. just want to reinvest and redirect juvenile justice funding to the community including direct to youth and, and families. So could you tie down and just see if you can expand on that please?
7: Sure. And so, I mean, these are kind of very high level vision. And to your point, they translate into a lot of like real things. Right. And so one of those is this is the um, idea of making sure that obviously we're investing in community organizations to support young people to stay in community. Right. So as much as possible, how can we release young people from detention, wrap around them the services and supports they need? And we have a lot of community organizations that do that beautiful work. So I want to make sure we're doing that. We also, to your point, do want to make sure that we're thinking about how we support the relative caregivers who often care for our young people. So right. this is a much bigger effort. And I'll candidly say that you know so much of the attention has been around how we support kind of professional foster parents, right? To take young people or support group homes to do that. We still need those things too. and. Um, the foster families, the the resource families that we've brought online this year through our contract with alternative family services are doing a really good job with the young people in their care. So, we know we have that kind of professional foster families really well resourced. We want to make sure, and this is going to require some thought and dedication of some of our money. We want to make sure that for our, our families for grandparents that also or aunts or uncles that also may be able to care for a young person, but need financial help. That we're exactly. getting that to them and so that's it's part of our vision. We need to figure out how to make it a reality. 1 way that we're going to be starting to do that is with some of that state money that we got because of the closure of DJJ. our subcommittee who works on budgeting. It affirmatively decided that some of that money is going to go into kind of what we called whole family support, mm-hmm. including some direct funding to families. So. Um, actually next Tuesday, we're gonna be start having conversations at that subcommittee about like what that really means so that we can turn that pool of funding into actual grants out to community organizations to make that real.
9: Yeah, I would really appreciate if you put, can put that into consideration. Maybe when you make your monthly report, perhaps you can briefly talk about it where you are on that, because some of these grandparents, you know, I live in this community. Some of them are just really, really surviving with their um, social security and they don't want to see their kids, you know, on the street. Because when they leave YDC, they go back to the community. Some of them are staying with their grandparents, but mm-hmm. if the grandparents don't have much to take care of them, these kids, they go back and, you know, and do something unusual. So, I just want to, if you don't mind, to keep updating us, you know, just how, how you are progressing on that.
7: We really
0: absolutely
7: will. We will, and and the last thing I should note, Commissioner, is we also have, you know, in our budget, some of the funds in our budget go toward like gift cards for families and young people, and so I'm also happy to report on the quantity of those we're giving out, and you know how they're helping our families and young people. We started doing that during the pandemic, right. just for things as basic as food for our families, um, and that's become a really important tool for us to support our youth and families. And I'm happy to share that as well over time. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you. Commissioner shorter. You are muted commissioner
7: shorter.
10: I am now unmuted (laughs) the the liberation of it all. (laughs) Okay, so I, um. Think that my question may have been answered um, relative to the reinvest and redirect um, justice funding uh, directly to youth and families um, with regards to the placement or housing for post foster care uh, youth. I guess my question was was actually more of a of a, um, a uh, the 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 majority of those youth are then. At the age of majority, is that correct? Are we talking youth largely that they've aged out?
7: They're uh, they're 21 commissioner they've turned 21.
10: Right they've turned uh, yes, 21 and so, yeah, my question was, is that in setting up. um, Housing presuming that it's, you know, at market rate rental units. Um, that they then are able to sign um lease and you know rental agreements A- in other words, just legally um they're able to do that on their own, okay, that was yeah. basically it, just trying to clarify in terms of again what the populations are and then setting up and giving direct um uh subsidies um that you know they're able to manage or being uh helped to manage um those kinds of contracts.
7: Right. And we and I should share that um Commissioner Brodkin has put on the agenda for the program committee next week the the um extended foster care young people, the A B 12 young people and uh, what kind of support they're getting. So we will be able to talk about that in a little more detail. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Are there any more questions or comments for the chief on the budget presentation,
0: Commissioner?
11: Uh, I,
1: I missed it again. You beat me, <laughs> to the Chief. Go ahead, Commissioner. Uh,
11: I just had
4: one quick question. And thank you for walking through it in such detail. It's very special for me. I'm wondering what the expected flow of DJJ youth back to San Francisco is over the next couple of years. And you said we had three right now, but are we expecting yeah. a lot? Or are we? Which Will it say around that level? It will help me think about programming.
7: Oh, it's a really good question. So we actually have no young people at DJJ right now. The three that I'm referencing are three young people who the court has already now committed to our local secure facility that we have to have as part of DJJ replacement. So our last young person who was at DJJ came back just about, i want to say about a year ago. And so there are no young people from San Francisco there at this point. We have a few young people still being kind of, um, who are in that post release period. So you'll see that on our data slides tonight that a couple of people still come up as DJJ commitments, but that's because we're. Effectively supporting them through their parole period. No, 1's at the facility. And so we won't have anybody coming back. Commissioner Brodkin has her hand up.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah, Go I ahead. just wanted to thank. Say- um, Commissioner Spangola and. Uh, Commissioner Moses for bringing up this idea about how we're going to spend this flexible dollars, because I think everybody's really excited about that idea and has been for a while and it's harder than it looks and, you know, they're right that it doesn't it get to the grandmother. Does it get to the young person who's really struggling and we all think that, oh, you know. 134 grand is enough money. Maybe it's enough money for two young people, or maybe it isn't, or maybe, you know, because it's so much harder than it looks than we think it's going to be. You have to change the mindset of the people in the system, you know, the workers who think, oh, here's a chance where I could really you know, give this family some money, give this young person some money, make something available that will change their life. So I love the idea of really drilling down on that in the program committee. So we can <coughs> really look at how this happens on the ground
7: well, <coughs> And
6: on the agenda.
7: Well, and I'll say, and Commissioner, so not only at the program committee, but it actually is one of the subjects at the DJJ realignment subcommittee that is next Tuesday, right after the program committee. So we can talk about it in all the places. Um, I do want to note uh, to Commissioner Leko's question. So I was focused in my answer on the young people coming back, but I know you're thinking about projected numbers. And I do want to note, you know, as I said, right now we have three young people who have those local secure commitments, I think we'll probably have potentially a fourth as well. So just and committed from anywhere from two to seven years. And so when you think about on an average, we've committed San Francisco over the last number of years, about two young people a year to the state for several year commitments at a time. So that you can kind of think about that as the ballpark of who we will need to be thinking about kind of intensive post-release planning for, as well as in-custody Long term, secure high quality programming
0: commissioner shorter. Did you have your hand raised again? Uh,
10: Yes, actually just 1 other question. I wanted to go back to uh, some of the. uh, Questions that uh, commissioner Moses was was acting are asking with regards to, for instance um resources for organizations or programs like grandparents who care um clearly you know um, a vital um resource for the community but they're uh, not advocating for any one particular um organization but um is there as part i'm going to kind of combine his question with going back to the the um the initiative around racial um, equity, um, is part of the analysis on, on, on the racial equity. Does that include looking at the, the, the programs that we do partner with? Uh, in other words, um, is there a census or, um, some idea in terms of the, the allocation of resources to, um, communities of color? Are what qualifies as an organization that is specific or culturally mm-hmm. uh, attendant to um, you know different communities? Do we have sort of a, a pie chart or some sort of um, analysis of that so that we're you know clearly the, the 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 mandate so to speak is to focus on what's happening within and about the department. But um, I also am curious in terms of how this initiative, if it at all extends to. Mm -hmm. Our um, allocated uh, resource allocated. Um, programs,
7: yeah, that's a great question. So, when when the city rolled out, it's kind of race equity mandate and created the office of racial equity. Um, It said that there are going to be two different kind of phases of the work. So the first thing that the city um, committed each department to do was to create what we called what they called our internal race equity action plan. So looking at your workforce, what are, what is that plan and all the 37 pages of like action items. And then the second piece was going to be, what is your external, your outward facing race equity action plan? Mm -hmm. So we don't have yet from the city. Um, that kind of template or anything like that to some degree, our 3rd sector work, and they'll I'll be talking about it again later tonight is really supposed. To, it's like our external mechanism right now. The the planning in there is, we really want to be asking ourselves, are we making different creating different models through the lens of, you know, um, advancing racial equity. So that's just kind of a, a probation. Like, that's not a citywide thing right now, mm-hmm. but I will say that So we don't have like a data point like that in terms of a pie chart. Right now. But I will say, for example, that um, during the pandemic, when we were able to take $9 million of our kind of historically unspent money and give it to DCYF, the mayor was very clear that she wanted to make sure that that funding went to organizations that were either African American led or majority African American serving, right? So the majority of the young people served. Um, and so uh, you know, we can ask DCYF if they may have that more responsive data point for you, because they they really are the holder of the majority of the grants. We do very little grant making ourselves, but that was mm-hmm. an intentional reinvestment decision that, you know, she really wanted us to be prioritizing in that time. Um, and that also really means that because it's it's the, the organizations that we continually fund, that that really applies to the network of organizations serving our young people in juvenile probation. Um, And I think what you just said is an important kind of element as we think about what that external. Kind of set of strategy should look like for us. So, thank you for asking.
10: Right and work that I've done before in equity, um, whether it's gender equity or racial equity or. LGBTQ, You know, D and I. Um, initiatives we are often will look at. This may not be the appropriate term here, but but sort of supply chain or the the supply chain, right? The folks that we we are connected to that are working. Um, to provide services and 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 goods. Um, you know, to the. Principal entity that there's also yeah, so. Thank you for that. Well, and I,
7: I think that I totally hear that and I also think that, um. Uh, if you think about the Dreamkeepers Initiative, so okay. announced the amounts of money that the, that the city took from law enforcement departments it really is supposed to be intentionally invested, mm-hmm. right, into our communities of color, in particular our black community. So um, in addition to DCYF possibly having some of that kind of data responsive to what you're asking, I would say Cheryl Davis and HRC are also very intentional in that strategy right now. And in fact, I just learned today um I'll have to look through my notes, but there's actually going to be, I think um, in a couple of weeks, they're going to be doing a report out at the San Francisco public library on the 1st year anniversary of the dream keepers initiative and the ways they have done the work. So, maybe of interest to you um, with Cornell West, making a special guest appearance in case you need like another hook. Um, so I can give that information to you, but they're going to be reporting out on how they've actually been doing that. Reinvestment of public dollars.
10: Great. Thank you,
7: Chief. Thank you. President Ariano, uh, Commissioner Brodkin's hand is up in the sidebar.
1: Yeah, I was going to.
7: Forgot to take it down. so oh,
1: I thought. <coughs> well, thank you, um, Chief, as well as Maria. Um, and I know that we have now. Been at it for about 70 minutes, um, even though I know that we had this estimated at 60, so. Uh, I'll just make 1 more note. Are there any other questions or comments for the chief in the department about the budget presentation that we heard tonight before we had the public comment. All right, we will now open up public comment on item 5 again, star 3 to be added to the line and we'll go ahead and open up public comment and actually i guess chief we have to vote uh to approve this is that right uh correct okay so uh perhaps i was premature um and uh, i'll just ask for a motion then to approve the presentation, as it was given tonight, unless other uh, commissioners have changes um, to we
6: make public testimony before we vote.
1: Yeah, yeah, just uh, just a motion to uh, to approve the uh, budget. And then if we, once we get a 2nd, then we'll open up public comment. I'll move. Do I have a 2nd, I 2nd. Thank you. Now we'll have public comment uh, on this item.
0: No one in the queue so far
1: thank you i'll no. just make a note to press star three to be added to the line and uh miss silvery do we have any emails or voicemails
0: no emails do we have
1: any uh hands raised at this time no hands raised at this time all right uh Can our secretary do a roll call vote on the motion to approve the budget presentation as it was given?
2: President Ariano, aye. Commissioner Brodkin, aye. Commissioner Laco, aye. Commissioner Moses, aye. Commissioner Shorter, aye. And Commissioner Spingola, aye. Motion passes.
1: Thank you. Thank you. thank you chief uh and again thank you to maria and everyone at the department steve i know who uh, uh emailed back and forth with me on uh some of the changes that um commissioner shorter and i requested i appreciate everyone's commitment to the presentation tonight and also uh onward to the next phase of meetings which i'm sure will be uh fun <laughs> to say the least uh we'll take item number 6 uh this is the role of commissioners to implement the closed juvenile hall work group recommendations um budgeted for 20 minutes in our estimated time and uh perhaps with this one commissioner brodkin did you want to go ahead and take this item
6: sure i don't think we ought to um take a huge amount of time on this so Um, because it's going to be a major topic of our retreat, and I don't think we're in a position to actually figure this out right now. I think it's on the agenda because I had proposed that on the hearing on Friday that we be represented. And what I would like to propose is not that we that what we do is fairly simple that we say we're here We're the commission, our job is to oversee the department. Um, we consider that, you know, that's a serious responsibility we, uh, and. And we intend and and the juvenile probation department has a major role to play in the implementation of this and we intend to work with our chief and to monitor the progress and. Um, you know, report back to the committee as needed about our progress in implementing the recommendations that they have approved. Something just very simple, asserting our our desire to be part of this. It did occur to me also that one of the things that is happening here and that is so uh, challenging and difficult is that there are like eight departments, I wrote them down, that are really integral to seeing that this is implemented. Um, uh, the police department, the, uh, DCYF, the health department, the DA, the courts, uh, the PD. Um, and. So, I think it's important for us to point that out, you know, that this is something that. JPD can't do alone (laughs) that it needs to be done in collaboration and I'm, you know, if I were in charge of the hearing on Sat on Friday. (laughs) And I, I would not just say, hey, Katie, what are you going to do about this? I would have the police chief there, the head of the health department there, the you know, all the people who are going to have to be responsible in collaborating with us and our chief um, in sort of ensuring that this happens. So that would be uh, another point that I would like to see made on our behalf. That this is not this is something that needs to be done in collaboration with the leadership of at least seven other agencies that are sort of implicated in the recommendation. So that that is what I would propose as, you know, as far as we can go with this right now.
1: Commissioner Moses.
9: Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Bradkin. So who will who will bear the cat? Who is going to
0: articulate that? Is that going to be you or our president? At the hearing tomorrow or day after?
6: Well, I don't know. We're going to elect a president. (laughs)
0: Exactly.
6: (laughs) But I could be. I, I, you know, I, I actually think anyone who wants to go there from the commission should feel free to, sort of. Chime in and be part of that, and say that you know. And actually, the more the better. The more convinces them that this is an important body that they um, need to be dealing with. So I I don't see any downside to having whoever wants to be there on the commission. I don't know what you think, um, Commissioner Arlano, um, about that. I think that that people who want to be part of that message. Um,
7: it's a short message.
6: Mean. It's a short and sweet message. Yeah. <laughs> Should feel free to. to I
9: think yeah. it might be wise to designate either you or our president to speak on our behalf, because you've been you you are part of it, and um, also to our president, you know, he can articulate. it. So either one or both of you to speak.
1: Chief, I had a, just a more procedural question. Sorry to startle you there. <laughs> um,
7: just trying to get ready for the next part. <laughs>
1: um, so, do we know the mechanics of how Friday is actually going to work? Is there going to be some uh, action taken? Is it more just no?
7: Um, so, I, I'll share what I know. I don't know if it's, you know, a moving target. Um, what uh, This is my understanding. Um My understanding is that the, uh, Cheryl Davis director Davis from the human rights commission will be presenting the closed juvenile hall report. Um, with the support of the consultants who worked on it, James Bell and David Muhammad. Um, She'll go through the recommendations. Um, I think with an emphasis on the kind of. Summary of recommendations that are in the report, that's my basic understanding. Um. Following her presentation, I've been asked to present Uh, President Walton has asked me to talk a little bit about some of the work we're doing that's consistent with the ideas. And then really to focus on um, providing some education around the facility piece. So, like, what is the state process? What does the state require? Um, And then he's asked me to also share a little bit about DJJ realignment and how it layers onto this so that we understand those buckets of work. And then I believe after that, it'll go to um, public comment. My understanding is that they will be setting a future date to come back. Um, But I don't know what that date will be. I don't know that they've decided Um, and that in the interim, the board will be digging into the recommendations, trying to figure out. What they want to advance and they'll be doing that as part of that in um, conversations with labor. As well, so that's kind of what I know I I think that. um, you know, I don't think they'll be taking votes on things. I do think that um, not uh, not to overstep, but I do think that you know, Commissioner Broadkin's suggestion is a really good one. Um, that the commission is here, that you're in the mix, uh, Commissioner Broadkin. I think that you know, one of my slides that we're working on will show kind of who needs to be in the mix, who, as you said, which are the agencies, which are the city departments. So, I think I. Uh, I think we're on this on a parallel track there, right? I'll be trying to kind of visually convey what exactly what I think you want them to really uh, take in. So I, I think it would actually be a nice dovetailing of messages. Thank you, you know, Chief. I'm
6: thinking particularly of the police and the health department, who are absolutely instrumental in doing, you know, the major parts of this, and the board of supervisors can't just rely on the juvenile probation department to sort of make all this happen. They have to assert their authority to to um, you know, help help get changes made.
1: And Chief, will it will representatives from the departments that Commissioner Brodkin mentioned, like the PD and the DA, will they be in attendance for this since they do have a role or will it just be um you kinda answering and then How what how how, do you know how that's going to work?
7: I don't know about that. I don't think that unless it's changed since um, I I met with President Walton about it on Monday when he asked me to cover those pieces. So unless there's been uh, addition since then, I think that uh, that HRC and I are the speakers at this point. I don't know who else will be there.
1: Understood. And I guess we'll have more clarity once we see the debate how it goes, as well as public comment and. Can they'll probably uh, for future hearings want to zero in on some of the departments that have roles in the recommendations they choose to accept? So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I while well, I appreciate you, uh, Commissioner Moses, I think I, I actually agree that we should have strength in numbers. So, if any of my fellow commissioners are able to as well uh, join um, to uh, express the commission's uh, intent to obviously um, be a Uh, partner in this effort to implement the recommendations. I think all of us should go and speak to our uh, efforts. I mean, uh, I think that my fellow commissioners um, just last week at the Board of Supervisors Rules Committee all expressed many reasons why they want to work as part of this commission moving forward for the next four years for their appointments. And I think that those uh, uh, reasons that I heard last week were all very much in line with wanting to uh, have a meaningful role in the implementation of the recommendation. So if there are folks who have time and want to do so, I would urge them to do so.
3: I, I agree um uh, president. Ariano. I agree that everybody on the commission should kind of show up though, but it is more of um, just a little, I think, you know, from what I understand it is more of just a deliverable from the chief and the HRC, I think, and then they'll turn around and have all the other, the unions and everybody else to come in on the next one and start, but, and start presenting, you know, their cases when it comes to move, making that kind of move. Um, so I think it's more of a presentation from the um, Dr. Bell and all them and David Muhammad, and then, you know, the chief. And then from there, it's gonna be, okay, this is where the union comes in, this is where the SFPD come in, this is where DPH come in, this is where all these other departments come in on the next final one. But I think our, our, um, our voice there, I mean, doing public comment, we should all, you know, make sure that we show up and show that the commission is in, you know, in line with what's going on and we do want to be a part of this whole move right and moving forward like you said the last time when we met with the supervisors is like we're in a moving in a new direction now and we want to make sure that the train doesn't stop we just keep moving in that direction and definitely be and put our stamp on where the commission wants to be in this whole process of you know re you know, removing moving the uh juvenile and all that and this, you know, the juvenile closure and all that and what role we play in this role. Thank you, Commissioner.
1: And just as a refresher, it's Friday at what time, Chief?
7: Uh, I believe it is six hours. Um I think I'm being or five hours. I believe it's on my calendar. Um <laughs> From five hours,
1: from ten to three, with uh, several recesses in between.
3: I think the five is being nice, too, Chief. I think the five going to end up at eight.
12: Yeah, Yeah.
1: let's be realistic. Yes, you're right, Commissioner.
9: (laughs) I know I won't be able to make it because I have doctor's appointment.
7: I think that people can probably submit written testimony in writing by sending an email. I don't know the details on that, but I wanted to just share that as an option.
1: That's a really great point chief. Um, perhaps, um, Ms. if you could, um, inquire about, uh, our, uh, for commissioners that want to submit written testimony, perhaps you could reach out to, um, I think, is it Victor that worked with us for our appointments last week? Um, if, and see if we can submit. Written testimony for commissioners that can attend. That'll okay,
13: be-
2: I will check with Victor Young.
1: Thank you. And if also,
13: can I just interrupt one second? Um, if a majority of the members are going to attend, could you just let me know tomorrow who will be attend? And if there's a majority of the members that are going to attend, I'm going to want to probably give a little bit of advice about that, just so you don't end up having a meeting accidentally or right? inadvertently.
1: Is that even if we're just speaking in our capacity during public comment?
13: Um no not generally um but um but basically i've just i've got the good government guide in front of me um you you retain of course your mem- you know your right as a citizen to publicly comment um you're not supposed to discuss among yourselves you're not supposed to like basically have a meeting at this meeting is basically the bottom line without reading it to you but it may not be an issue if you if you you know, less than a majority plan to attend, but if, if you do, then, you know, I'll just take a longer look at it. And just shoot you those who plan to attend some advice.
10: Okay, just so we avoid yeah.
13: that issue. Thank you.
10: Yes. Thank you. City attorney, because that was actually my. Um, question is that we want to be careful that we don't have a quorum of the board. Uh, clearly people can can speak in public comment as themselves. But once as you're identifying as as commissioners of the. The body and there, if there's a quorum, then that um, can might may be an an issue. Uh, I would, however, um, I would, I would suggest that we designate the president. Of the commission um, at that point to um, really be the, the. The spokes, the chief spokes. Person, so to speak um, on behalf of the interest of the of the commission not that others can't speak but so that we are it's clear that um, if opportunity arises that that person is um, you know um, that is uh designated by this commission to speak on our full full our behalf behalf that's right so,
1: yeah, good point commissioners and uh, I had forgotten about the uh, brown act uh, requirements that we all must adhere to. So um, if we could just get a head count, perhaps by tomorrow afternoon and let uh, our deputy city attorney know who will be, um, or actually, I guess we'll just designate the president uh, after yeah. we do our elections to make that point. Um, but I was just gonna say, um, for those who want to still be heard um that we they do have that option that the chief outlined of submitting written remarks, which um uh I think we have done in the past is when commissioners want to um obviously get their voice on the record as well is there so I don't know do we I don't believe we have to take a motion on this?
0: Is an action
1: item? Yeah, I don't think we have to. I mean, I mean, do, if we want to codify, obviously, what Commissioner Brodkin said about uh, the commission's role uh, and as it relates to ensuring coordination amongst all the different departments, I, you know, we could codify it and just make a motion to uh, that that we agree with Commissioner Brodkin's, uh proposal to make the commission's voice heard at the closed juvenile hall work group uh, hearing this Friday. Um, with the designated, uh, president of the commission at the time to, uh, present that the commission would like to see coordination, uh, amongst all the different city departments as well as, um, you know, the commission will be active, uh, an active partner in the, uh, implementation of the recommendations. Um, I have a motion to approve, uh. That well,
0: so move. So, I have
1: a 2nd,
10: I second it if it is. A required motion. Yes,
1: I'm just trying to follow deputy city attorney Clark's recommendation that we always take a vote on things that uh, we agree on as a group. So.
10: Yeah,
13: good good move. Thank you.
1: Is there any public comment on the motion uh, that we have on the table uh, regarding the commissioner's role uh, for the closed juvenile hall work group recommendations that will be heard at the hearing on Friday at the board of supervisors. Star 3 to be added to the line. (coughs) No, one in the queue yet. Thank you. And Miss already do we have any voicemails or emails.
2: Not at this time.
1: And 1 more time,
0: star 3 to be added to the line for item 6.
1: Do we have any hands raised?
0: No, hands raised.
1: All right, we'll close item 6 and now hand it back to chief Miller for the chief's report chief. We've budgeted you for 60 minutes and I think we are. Almost hey, president.
13: I'm sorry, president. Were you going to vote on that then?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm completely out of sorts tonight. Thank you to our deputy city attorney. Um, we'll reopen item 6. Uh, and we've closed public comment and now. We'll ask for a roll call vote on item 6.
2: President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Brodkin. Aye. Commissioner Laco. Aye. Commissioner Moses. Aye. Commissioner Shorter, aye. Commissioner Spingola, aye. Motion passes.
1: Thank you. Now we will take item seven, the chief's report. Chief, I got us back on track, and we have sixty minutes uh, estimated for the chief's report. And I'll hand it back to you.
7: Thank you. I'm going to do one quick change to the order of my report. I know Selena's like all ready to go on the data but um, so that I don't have to completely punish somebody who's here. I'm going to um, speak about them for one second. First, um, Michael, can you move Cheryl Taylor back into the meeting attendees? She's she's an attendee. Can you move her back? Yes.
1: In? Just a moment. Okay.
7: Um. So rather than make her have to wait until we get to my chief's report about workforce, uh, I'm gonna take a moment to acknowledge that this is the last meeting for Cheryl Taylor to be here. Um, And so I wanna say goodbye to her. So, and it seems awfully fitting that it happens at the meeting where you all just unanimously approve the budget that she put together. Um, So for folks who don't know, Cheryl joined the department uh, shortly after I did, just about two years ago. She came over basically on loan and she's been on loan for us for the last two years from the PUC. Um, And she's just been offered an awesome position back over there that she's going to go do. So, I just want to acknowledge that I want to say a huge thank you to Cheryl Um, and, you know, you all heard me say this in many different ways, but just to quickly note, you know. She's done an incredible job really like with the health and streamlining and kind of accuracy of our budget in the last 2 years. An amazing job identifying all of those unspent funds that we were able to use for really important ways during COVID, and just has has left it in such good shape. And I just can't thank her enough for it. And I also want to really acknowledge that she has been a real steward of the race equity work trying as hard as possible to move us along on top of also being the interim finance director. And um, so it's with a heavy heart that I let you all know that she's leaving her last day. Is the 18th um, and so I just wanted to recognize her and say a formal goodbye without her having to wait till we get through the data report for me to do that so that she can actually go enjoy her evening with her family. So, Cheryl, on behalf of the department and um, in, in front of the commission, I just want to express my heartfelt. Thank you. And we wish you good luck and we're, you know super sad for us and happy for you.
10: I'll just say, thank you so much. And it, you know, all of it was possible under the Chief Miller's amazing stewardship. Uh, you know, I just can't speak highly enough about just the the tone, the example, the leadership that she set Trent. Completely transparent, accessible, and just—you know—such an inspiring leader. It was sort of our team that she brought together. So I, I just want to give thanks back for the opportunity, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, sh- share some of my skills with, you know, one of the best departments in the city. So uh, I'm going to miss you guys. I may come to a meeting next month. <laughs> <laughs> You can
7: do public Any- comment now. <laughs> okay, Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. We appreciate okay. everything that you've done. I, I'm glad that the chief also called out the work on the racial uh, uh, equity plan, because I feel like um, just you were able to, when you presented all of the different. Um, actions that the department had put together for that report, it was just so thorough and so engaging and just, it really crystallized the work that we have ahead for us to obviously meet the mayor's uh, goals on that uh uh on the racial equity plan and also us as a commission as i know the chief has pointed out every time she can that we commissioners also have a role in this as well so um between that and then the finances and everything i also i feel like you have become uh someone that i know personally even though i think that with covid i don't even remember the if we've ever even met in person but i just want to thank you for your professionalism and for everything you've done for the department, uh, since you have been on loan to us, the PUC is going to have to fight us back for you potentially in future years if we have trouble filling the position. But thank you, thank you so much for everything you've done on behalf of the department, and uh, we wish you well on at the PUC.
0: Thank you, thank you,
7: Cheryl. Thank you. Um, thank you. I, I, will, I'll, I will share with that, with that comment as well to your comment, um, President Ariano. Um, I am also uh, looking at the attendees and won't make her come on screen tonight. But I will share that the person who will be stepping into Cheryl's big shoes is also here and watching. Um, and next month, we will be welcoming Veronica Martinez, who's coming over from adult probation to take this role here. And we will talk about her uh, more Then I'm just super grateful to Cheryl for uh, doing a transition with her right now. So I don't want to leave you all hanging with that with that comment. But I really want this to be about uh, thanking Cheryl and acknowledging all of her work. Okay, having done that um, and letting her go and enjoy her evening, uh, I will turn it over to Selena to do the data report and then I will come back on screen. Um, when she's done for the rest of the chief's report, thanks, Selena. Thank you chief
11: Miller. What a. Sad transition, um, this is into data. Uh, I. Do I have the yes, I have screen sharing
0: abilities bear with me for a 2nd. Is this working? It's always an adrenaline rush. Sharing screen on
6: WebEx.
11: Please let me know if you can see the correct screen. If not, I will switch.
8: We can see both the current slide and the next slide. Oh boy. OK, I think if you go to display settings, but don't do duplicate, that's what I did. Okay. Do swap. Is this better? It is that there's a weird gray square in the middle of the screen. Oh, I think that is WebEx.
11: Okay. Is this better?
1: Still there. Oh, Oh, it's gone.
8: It's gone. It's gone? Okay. Oh, okay. Great. I will start us
11: off um, trying to balance moving us along, but also um, orienting. Commissioner Laco to the monthly data reports. Uh, so just to give a brief introduction, every month we present these monthly statistics uh, that mostly focus on the month before last. So today, focusing on uh, December of 2021, with the exception of a couple of slides
0: for a more recent time period. Let's see. All right, so
11: starting us off um, juvenile hall snapshot from Monday, February 7th, um, there were 11 young people in juvenile hall, 82% boys, 18% girls, um, 100% were youth of color, which as we all know, does not align with the demographics of young people in San Francisco. 73% were black youth, 27% Latinx youth, Um, About three quarters were young people or young adults ages 18 or older, Um, there was one 16-year-old, two 17-year-olds, six 18-year-olds, and two 19-year-olds. As for where the young people live who are in juvenile hall currently, 82% live within San Francisco, 18% outside of San Francisco. And then as for juvenile hall population by status, Um, About 18% were out of home placement youth pending adjudication, 18% pending disposition, 18% pending placement, 18% were juvenile hall commitments, and 18% were secure track commitments. I also want to note here, while they're not represented in this slide, because they're not currently in juvenile hall, there are also two um, young adults in San Francisco county jail pending
0: trial one has been committed to juvenile hall and one has been committed to secure track. Moving us to slide six, admissions releases and average daily
11: population. This is one of those slides that shows the more recent month of data. So in January, the average daily population increased from 14 youth in December to 17 youth in January There were also 19
0: admissions and 19 releases in January. Moving us to slide 11, so
11: length of stay, the descriptive statistics around length of stay. So here um, we break down length of stay for young people who were released during the month of December, which was 16 young people, and then the young people who were in custody on the last day of December, also 16 young people. So for youth who were released during the month of December, the mean length of stay was 18 days and the median was four days. For in-custody youth, the mean length of stay was 147 days and the median was 74 days. Um, We provide the next couple lines to disentangle what's driving the very long length of stay for young people in custody. And you see that the long lengths of stay for young people in custody on the last day of month is driven by commitments. So um, for young people who had been committed to juvenile hall or secure track, the mean length of stay was 282 days. So over twice as much as non-commitments at 102 days. And then the median length of stay was 144 days. So over four times as much as non-commitments where the median length of
0: stay was 34 days. Taking us Now to slide 16,
11: admissions by primary detention reason. Um, So, in December, there was actually uh, the highest number of admissions to juvenile hall that we've seen since June of 2021. There were 17 admissions in December. Um, 71% were mandatory, so 9 were for mandatory new law violations, 2 were for warrants or court orders, and there was 1 transfer in. Uh, 29% were non-mandatory detentions. This is also a higher percentage that in recent months of non-mandatory detentions. This was related to um, four firearm possession cases and one detention override. I do wanna flag that the one detention override was listed in the earlier PowerPoint sent to you as uh, DRI automatic detention for placement return or failure but it's been corrected
0: in this slide to a detention override. And then taking us to slide
11: 18. um, So here, I wanna flag that we've changed the language on these slides from out of home placement to alternative placement, um, as we're seeing a larger number of commitments as placements. Um, So here on this slide, the one thing I want to flag is uh, we've seen increases in recent months of the percentage of young people in custody as a result of alternative placement in January. It was 71%. Um, I do want to flag also that while in the beginning of 2021, the largest group of young people um, from this group, that we saw was young people awaiting placement, but this has really gone down, particularly since August. And now we see um, larger numbers of young people being
0: committed to juvenile hall as their placement. Taking us now to slide 20,
11: um, flagging here that in the past couple months, we have seen an increase in the number of referrals to probation. Um, Specifically, in December 2021, there were 45 referrals to probation, 62% were for felony offenses, 31% for misdemeanors, 7% for warrants or probation violations. Um, But I also want to highlight that December had the highest number of CARC referrals that we've seen since pre-pandemic, since February of 2020, and also an increase in make it right referrals.
0: Five in total in the month of December. Taking us to slide 24,
11: um, active caseload by unit, I do want to flag here the increase in CARC cases that we see in December um, is due mainly to a data cleanup effort done by um, the SPO of the CARC unit. So now uh, cases captured in CARC capture Um, traditional CARC, JPD-654, and um, SFDA-654, so all informal probation cases. Taking us now to the last slide, probably the least easily digestible slide, alternative placement details, Um, I want to flag here uh, that we continue to see just under about 20% of young people um, placed in RFAs, um, while we are seeing a decline in the percentage of all alternative placements that are STRTPs. Um, but at the same time, I do want to flag the increasing percentage of young people who are committed and the young people who are in county jail on an adult criminal complaint. And those are all the slides I had To highlight today, so I will take us to questions and I'm happy to take questions on either any of
0: the slides I covered any of the slides I didn't cover.
1: Thank you, Selena. Any questions for Selena about the
0: monthly data report?
3: Not, not, not a question, but a comment. Um, you know, as we get this data, it, 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 I mean, it constantly shows that, you know, even though the African-American, black, black folks' percentage is always, always say it always depends on who you ask and why they did the survey and what the survey was for is always between three and five. But we always end up the highest population locked up in an institution right so um wow you know this it doesn't you know where where where's the i mean a lot hasn't changed when it comes to the demographics of who's being incarcerated who's being held or who's being incarcerated and then like i said it was just more of a comment you know and you know um, only because of the work i do that i
7: realized
3: who represents them you know, at the end of the day,
7: sure It's such an important point, and I would actually note that as the numbers of kids have gone down, it's become worse. It's more pronounced than it used to be.
3: Yes. I, I live it. I know.
7: No, yeah.
3: Mr. Brodkin.
0: Yeah, did you say there were five young people in county jail?
7: There are. 2 young people in county jail. But out of the placement
11: details, there are 5.
6: What does that mean? 2, 5? what? I, I feel like this is the 1st time I've paid attention. I mean, I've realized that we're that county jail shows up. Uh, on this, so can you explain that?
11: Yes, so. This is the first time that this note has um, shown up on our juvenile hall snapshot um, because of the fact that these two young people um, are going through trial on the adult side, but are also captured um, as being ju- in juvenile hall, although they're not in juvenile hall because they've been committed there um, either in a juvenile hall commitment or a commitment to secure track Um, Within the out of home placement details, um, Mm -hmm. those are for all young people who are out of home placement. Some of there is a percentage of them, a small percentage, but a concerning percentage that are currently in county jail. I don't know if it necessarily is San Francisco county jail, but pending an adult criminal complaint.
7: Right, I can yeah, and I can build on what Selena just said. So there are 2 young people, like she noted in San Francisco county jail. We have additionally, um, I think 3 of our young people who have who are. Adults, as you know, many, many of our young people are past their 18th birthday. So the young people who are on probation in San Francisco, who are currently arrested and in county jails in other counties. So they got arrested for offenses in other counties and are in those jails right now.
6: Who are on probation with us and have been in some kind of out-of-home placement, independent living?
7: Um, it, it's, it can be a variety of situations. Sometimes our young people just live in other counties and they're on probation with us. So it can be any of those things, Commissioner Brodkin. But if they pick up an, a, a serious offense in another county, they may be in jail. So those replacement kids. So they most likely are kids who were. A while for placement and picked up a new offense, and they're
6: never seen that before. So, is, this yeah. seems like not a good thing. <laughs> like, uh, indication of. Well, we it haven't really happened well enough or Yeah,
7: no, it definitely happens. We see it happen. Um, it's just that, you know, sometimes when we. Uh, right when we're running the report for you, is when we're seeing something happen, or at the end, of, last day of the month, right? But so you're seeing it in concentration this month. Um, but uh, yeah, and some of them are young adults who are in transitional housing in other counties, but still with us, like AB 12 youth pick up a new offense in that county. They're sentenced in that county. So it can happen in a variety of ways. They just have coincided all into one report for you. And then the two young people in our county jail right now also. Okay, I just want to like the kids ending up in jail, you
6: know, I understand this happens, but are we alarmed by that? Is there something that we are going to change or do or modify in order to. Sort of intervene in a more effective way.
7: So. I mean, I think that gets to the heart of all of our work when, you know, we have young people our young people get picked up for offenses in San Francisco too. Right? So we, they reoffend in, multi, in here and in other counties. Um, I think it, it does raise the issue of how hard it is to supervise kids who live far away, right? That can be hard for us. Um, when they're not when they're placed in other counties, that can also be hard for us. So there's a variety of reasons where it can happen. And I, I think to answer your question, it speaks to the need for us to be looking with whole cloth at how we do all of our supervision work. for Right. Our kids.
6: It just seems like real important to look at those cases say, what happened? and You know, was there something we could have done, should have done? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's certainly not a good thing.
0: Um, yeah.
7: Yeah. And I think the other thing it speaks to is, and and not that we don't need to, you know, obviously really look at how we do our work and the changes we need to make, but I think that also, as we increasingly focus our attention and work on the highest risk kids, we may see you may see a higher percentage of that happening sometimes.
6: Uh, but I'm also aware that we have gotten down to what the field generally sees as ideal caseload sizes. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it speaks to maybe our ability to address that.
0: Mr. Moses, yeah. Again, thank you. The on the census
9: issue eleven, all them uh, African American, and area Latinx, right? Yes. Right. So, are they from San Francisco too, out of town? Um. So the
11: majority of young people in juvenile hall are from San Francisco. Um. Only less than twenty percent are from outside. I. Don't know once it gets the specific of
9: uh, the two breakdown. I, I, right I thought I heard you saying that you know some are from out of out of town, but maybe yeah. I mean.
11: So two two of the young people in juvenile hall, which amounts to eighteen percent, are from outside of San Francisco.
9: Okay, then the three who were like sixteen percent, do they ever capture back? Did they bring back or could you tell us more about that? 3, a wall
11: where. On the previous slide that I was showing
9: must be, I guess. So,
11: okay.
9: You break down and say that 3.
11: Um, because um, we have. A wall on this slide, there were 3 young people who were a
9: wall right, um,
11: on right. January 31st.
9: Right, so I day back or are they still. MIS? Missing matching
7: Um, it's it's hard to talk in detail about such a small number of young people, obviously, because of the. Unique natures of their cases, it's a combination. I see So some of them we know where they are and some we. Some are well, yeah.
11: Overall, in general, the percentage of young people who are a wall at the end of the
0: month has been decreasing. Right. Okay. Thank you. Other questions or comments for Selena and the chief?
1: All right, chief. Uh, I think you yeah. can.
7: Thank continue. you, Selena. Thanks. Selena. Awesome. I'll have Selena stop sharing and then Maria will share the remainder of the chief's report. Um, stop sharing.
0: Maria, I'll pass it to you. Thank you. Can you see it? Not yet. Hmm. Again. You're sharing now we can see it and can you convert it to the 1 slide
7: version? Perfect. Okay. Um, Where are we on time? President? (laughs) Ariano? Just so I know.
1: Um, We are 25 minutes into the item. So another 35.
7: Thank you. Okay, um, we will get through our uh, Chiefs report. So, um, uh, Marie, if you can move to the first slide in the report. So, every month monthly report, of course, on our workforce changes, I've already talked about uh, the departure of Cheryl Taylor. Um, I will start with our departures first. Our other departures, we have two. One is um, Aisha Matthews, who came in recently in one of our clerk positions and will be leaving. Another 1, who I also really want to hold up and celebrate tonight um, is um, Nick Jacobin. Mr Jacobin has been 1 of our counselors um, in the hall uh, for a very long time. I think you hear me say this as a trend when I come to these um, commission meetings and and offer up this information, but he's been here for 25 years and his last day uh, is tomorrow. So I wanted to note and celebrate him. I also wanted to uh, acknowledge a promotion in our department. Um, Sam Ho, who's been our acting IT director for a very long time, is now officially our IT director. And then in terms of hiring, I wanted to note that um, we have three new folks who are joining us as on-call counselors. They've joined in the last month. And just a reminder, our on-call folks are folks that we call when we have a staffing shortage, so they're not full-time staff. They are, uh, as their name demonstrates, on-call. Next slide, please. So, in terms of juvenile justice system transformation updates, we'll be uh, short tonight because there's so much to cover. So, we've already talked about the closed juvenile hall work group final report going to the board on Friday. No more need to address that. And then, again, I've already addressed this a little bit too, but in terms of our DJJ realignment work. Um, Our year 1 funding, the money that we had already received that the board of supervisors placed on reserve last summer has now been taken off reserve because our committee has finalized their plan for how to spend it. Um, So, the board took it off reserve a couple weeks ago. And the group is now going into implementation planning for ongoing. How are we going to actually spend the money? We've allocated in the ways that align with our value and intent things we already talked about credible messengers, whole family care, things like that. Um, so, they'll be digging into those topics um, in uh, kind of with an implementation mindset starting at our next DJJ realignment subcommittee meeting, which is this coming Tuesday at 4 30, um, uh, remotely as always. Uh, next slide, please. And then the bulk of my time tonight will be giving an update on third sector. Um, as a reminder to the commission and as an introduction for our newest commissioner, Uh, This is an update on the work that JPD and our CBO partners have been doing together, facilitated by outside consultants at third sector to redesign some of the ways we work together with our youth and families at the center. Um, This work and the contract um, for third sector was designed to be done in 3 phases. Uh, The commissioner had a commission had a very intense discussion about this last fall. And uh, at that time I committed to report back at the end of phase two, um, before we would move into phase three and that is where we are right now. So I'm reporting back to you uh, with that update. So uh, Maria, next slide, please. There's a lot of content on these slides. I wanted to make sure you had that content, but I will go through them kind of at a high level and then we can spend time discussing. Um, So this is kind of the partnership and process update. Um, As a reminder, these three workers were formed with CBOs, community organizations, and JPD staff to identify ways to improve the support for young people referred into the system. Um, uh, the uh, effort really builds on proposals that have been generated over the last few years, so the Mayor's Blue Ribbon Panel recommendations, the blueprint created by the Juvenile Justice Providers Association, and of course the proposals in the Closed Juvenile Hall worker report. The intent of it is really to help take us. From the shared values and concepts to policies and practices that can be really activated um, in the service of our young people and their families, and then also to advance racial racial equity in the way we do that work. It also really serves to implement the priorities that you all hired me to do. So I do want to note that tonight, right? Bringing community providers into the process earlier, really working kind of collaboratively between probation government in general and community. And just changing the experience for young people and families who interact with the system, all things that are very important to me and which to me, this work is uh, designed to do. Um, And it's also really intentionally designed to focus kind of our probation attention on the kids with the highest levels of need. So, in this process, really focusing on that as the group of youth that we're starting our discussions with. Um, So, the groups came together, we're working on some things that I'll go through in each of the different work groups. Um, and the idea is that moving into phase 3 in February and March that the groups will be identifying kind of consensus points and then kind of places where we don't have consensus, but we do some analysis so that we can uh, make some real decisions about what will happen going forward. Next slide please. So, as I noted, I think our intent is really to focus these conversations on. The young people kind of at the highest end of the system. So this slide is kind of the, um, the flow of young people generally through our juvenile justice system and the highlighted rectangle that whole upper left part is who we are. um, Focusing the work groups attention on. So it's the, you know, how do we improve. um, Kind of collaborative community based support for young people with those highest needs. Um, You know, I think that uh, one of the biggest challenges of the work before us, like when you look at the closed juvenile hall work group recommendations and other things is that it's really hard to figure out where to start. Um, There are so many doors into the system. They're kind of on the left. There's a lot of exits on the right and there's so much work in the middle. And we really intentionally decided to focus on the young people with that highest need. And for our purposes, we interpret that to mean young people detained at the point of arrest. I want to note that that does not discount the work that needs to be done um, to bring diversion to scale in San Francisco, to think differently about, you know, to Commissioner Rodkin's point, what does informal supervision look like? What does DA diversion look like? In no way does this focus diminish that work. But I do think that, um, I think so often, juvenile justice reform work focuses on kind of what the Annie Casey foundation always used to call the low hanging fruit, who are the kids that we feel like safest thinking about doing something different with. And I think a lot of reform is focused on that group of kids at the expense of the kids who may have the most intense situations and needs. And so I think it's really important for us to be talking about that group of young people. I think if we can change the way we do our work for the youth with the highest need levels and the highest risk levels. Um, then we can also really step back and expand the, that thinking and rationale to young people who have uh, less significant needs or young people, all young people with law enforcement contacts. But I think it's really important from a values perspective and philosophy to start by really asking what we can do really about young people who find themselves detained. Next slide. So, as noted earlier, uh, this work and the underlying contract were designed to be done in 3 distinct phases. Um, and to be done with relative kind of speed and a finite time frame, ending at the end of March phase 1 was information gathering to identify priorities and kind of what is, what was the structure and plan going to look like. And then phase 2 was when we launched the work groups, we identified the members we created kind of foundation and format for the meetings. There were 21 separate work group meetings and then another 2 meetings where um, people from across work groups could come together. Um, and, as, and the groups worked to identify kind of specific focuses for where they wanted to address rethinking and improving the work. I'll talk about that more in the coming slides. There is not always consensus on that. There were discussions about kind of chicken and egg. Where do we start? Those are really natural points of tension, um, but there's been some really important work done. The idea for phase 3 is that there'll be 12 more meetings scheduled for those work groups. That they'll be drilling down on the specifics to kind of get toward those high-level goals that they identified, creating implementation resources, proposed timeframes, and then recommend making recommendations back to leadership at JPD, me, um, and to the kind of the CBO leaders um, for uh, consideration and decisions about the proposals that come out of this process. Um, Another piece of that that will be really important, of course, will then be how those once we look at those things, those proposals that come out, who else we bring into the mix who has to play an important vetting role as well. And I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. Next slide please. So, I'm going to just go through some information that came out of each of the different work groups to give you kind of a flavor of it. Um, I'll start at high level and then I'll show some slides that again are very dense in information. So I'll just kind of highlight what I think is. Um, most salient, but I wanted to give you a sense of the nature of the work. Uh, Next slide, please, Maria. So, again, as a reminder, um, the youth we're focusing on are those at the highest end, right? Detained kind of in that hall at point of referral, Um, and we're looking at what does intake look like at that point? Like, that kind of first contact and interaction with young people, what does case planning look like, and what does case management look like? Those are the three different work groups that are meeting. Um, So, for intake, um, and these are the high level kind of goals that were identified within each of them in areas of work. So for intake, we're talking about how do we get CBOs to the table at that first point, right? Something that we've been talking about since the day I got here in this job and even before that, and definitely is coming up in those other city conversations. How do we reduce the trauma that young people experience during what are very redundant and very invasive assessment processes? Um, This is something that came up in the listening sessions with young people and their families at closed juvenile hall work group that it's very traumatic and invasive to get the kinds of questions that they get right now, over and over and over as they go through the system. In the case planning work group, the focus is on what does a real kind of care team approach look like? It can have a lot of different names. We're calling it care team in the moment. Frankly, I think we should ask young people what they think that kind of a thing should be called, but what is that kind of a team? Who is around the table working shoulder to shoulder? You know, how is it really everyone involved with a young person, including probation, if probation's in the mix, including CBOs, young people, their families, other trusted partners? And then in case management, the focus is really on how do we work together in partnership to determine when things are working and when they're not working to determine how to make change? Um, so in each of these. Uh, Kind of high level things will be presented in greater detail on the coming slides and we'll go to the next slide. Now, Maria. So, this 1st is a summary of the intake work groups activities. I'm not going to take us through all the details unless you want me to come back and do that. But I will share with you that. um, I think these provide a good sense of the work of the group Um, It shows the shared goals and values that they're working from both for kind of the question about whether we can create kind of universal assessments and then also, how do we like. Have um, kind of services right from the beginning, they talk about the specific milestones that the groups are looking to complete by the end of March. And then the topics for the upcoming meetings. Next slide please, and this slide is an example of the work coming out of that process. It shows some of the analysis that members have done to kind of help and inform the work. So, um, so this slide uh, in particular shows kind of the mapping of all of the adults that a young person is speaking to at their point of entry into the hall and into the juvenile justice system. And of all of the assessments, which are those colored kind of boxes um, that they are subjected to. I want to draw your attention to the part at the bottom in the red kind of broken lined rectangle. that shows kind of a little path that young people and their families follow and what they experience, like what this experience actually feels like for them. Um, these were things that work group members shared about the experience of young people and families that they had worked with young, um, some of our work group members from community organizations and also probation staff really sharing what they experience. As they go through this, and all of these questions, and all of these steps, this is like the 1st, 72 hours that a young person is with us. Um, So it really speaks to the need to spend time thinking about that experience with them at the center and not all of us getting the information that we think we need. Um, Next slide please. And then this slide. Builds on the last 1, it shows the work that members of the work group and 3rd sector have been doing to really look at all of the existing assessments out there and identify duplication. When are we asking kids about the same things over and over? And so you can see on the right, if you look at the kind of status quo of all the assessments out there. How much we are asking kids about those same dimensions of their lives kind of routinely. The vision that we're really trying to think about is what can a streamlined process look like for a young person when who is asking? Well, making sure that we're only asking for information when we need it um, that we're not duplicating questions. Like, what kind of universal assessment tool and information sharing can exist. And then we understand that asking the questions, like, under knowing that now. We can determine who is asking those questions. Where are they asking them community, the hall? What's the setting? And when are they asking them so that we really understand what needs to happen in a way that holds the well being and experience of the young people, 1st and foremost. What's an example of the work that's coming out of the intake work group next slide please. So, this slide shows a summary of the case planning groups activities. Um, The focus is really kind of, who is that care team? What is its function? And in upcoming meetings, they're going to be talking about specific roles and responsibilities of the people around the table, the structure of meetings, the role of the well-being advocate, which is something that was really highlighted in the closed juvenile hall work group report as an important component to build into how we support families um, and you know, making sure we have clarity about all of those those pieces. Right? What is How do we make sure we're all on the same page about what all these things mean? Next slide please. So, this slide shows some of the current thinking that's coming out of the work group about who comprises a care team and their key responsibilities. So, you can see that the thinking right now is that it would include a youth's family, other members of their support network, who they identify the assigned probation officer, um, a CBO provider or case manager who may already be working with the youth. We don't want to disrupt existing relationships. We want to build and support them. and, or, I think it should say, and, or is my personal preference. Um, a CBO representative from one of the funded multi service agencies that already get DCYF funding in that category. And then this well being advocate idea. So, we're thinking that this is kind of the core group that gets together as early as possible to be working together with that family to develop that plan. Next slide, please. Finally, this slide is a summary of the uh, activities of the case management work group. Really, again, how we assess if a plan is working for a young person in the family and the people and programs that they're connected to, whether those are good fits. All of the people are good fits. And what do we do differently when it's not working? Well, um, you know, how do we make a change um, and how do we do it again? Still in collaboration and partnership and not in kind of a contentious way. Next slide, and so here's kind of the proposed framework that that group is working on. Um, and these are things that sound so simple, but I will note that even getting to the point where, when there's kind of the need for change or maybe even not always consensus, the idea that probation and their community partners are coming hand in hand together to talk to the judge about what needs to happen next, even that is an important step for us. And so I want to highlight that and say, like, that's the kind of thing the group's thinking about. Had we not have probation be the holder of information and the voice in that room with the judge, how do we do that together? Next slide please. So, the big question, of course, is what comes from all of these meetings, because we never want to have meetings to meet. Um, So, I have asked the groups for there to be kind of 2 different kinds of information that emerge from the process where there are areas of agreement. I think it's great to have that reported back. to, to probation leadership, like I said, to the JJPA, so that we can then vet those with the other stakeholders who need to be at the table. So, these, so we are, probation and community, two pieces of a much bigger system, and we know that. It's really important that we are in this space together right now because there has always been such a divide, and we've really not been able to kind of move that forward, but we know that even when we find consensus, we need to be reaching out to You know, the court partners, so the judges, defense, the DA, um, you know, other partners in detention like SPI, who does assessment of young people, the health assessments in the hall. They all need to be in the conversation, as well as engaging young people, engaging families, um, and other providers who haven't been at this table to really make sure that these ideas kind of ring true and sound like they are workable um, to achieve the goals we have. So, where there's areas of agreement, we know we then need to start really engaging other folks and making sure that we can move forward. Really thinking about a timeline and how we actually activate the work. Where there are areas where folks around the table can't come to consensus, and that is just a reality. What I've asked folks to do is to name those things and I want to know the pros and cons. Like, what is the analysis for why we should do something one way or another? I know that in my role as chief, I'm going to be making decisions about, you know, how this work actually comes to land with probation, like, how do we do our pieces? How do we agree on this, these models? Um, but I think it helps me and I really welcome the analysis and the kind of pros and cons. So, I've asked the groups to be thinking about the areas of contention through that lens. Um, can you go to the next slide? And then finally, I just wanted to acknowledge and give deep thanks to the members of the work groups. These processes are, are not always fun. They are hard. They go up and down. There's lots of feelings. Um, but I really want to thank everybody for being in the space and doing the work as a reminder uh, for the Commission. Each work group is comp- comprised of 5 community based provider representatives and 5 juvenile probation staff. Um, 12 of the um, of the uh, 15 CBOs who are here were identified by the Juvenile Justice Providers Association, and then three were identified um, by me and asked to be part of the process. Um, But collectively, it's just a really great group of people that do important work with our youth every day. So Maria, if you'll go through the three slides of the three work groups, that would be great. And to the last. Thank you. And then finally, I won't go into it, but we did want to share with you an appendix that contains some additional materials that summarize, you know, pieces of the work that have been completed. So I won't go through it all, but wanted to make sure you have it some more analysis about all the people our kids talk to and their experiences um, and how we can make changes and things like that. But we just wanted you to see some of that to get a little more of the flavor um, of the process and I will open it up for uh, questions and feedback. Thank you.
1: Thanks, chief um, in terms of. The intake process and the process that you outlined and some of the challenges as well, how much. I mean, obviously that you can't put a percentage on it, but like, it seems like. It's a collaborative process that needs to happen, but also how much of this is like literally a. Data sharing issue where, you know, some of the departments aren't communicating one of the intakes that they've done and some of the communications that they've done at, for instance, at CARC, like with the, you know, department and or with different agencies, like, is it like more of a data sharing issue or is it like a little bit of everything where like, you know, this hand is not talking to the other hand, like, could you elaborate a little bit on that?
7: You know, I think it's both, right? And I actually would say, I mean, Maria's here and she's in that intake work group so she can learn more detail and there may be other folks here as well who are. It's, it's both. So, I'm going to use the, um, the health assessment as kind of the best example. So, SPI, Special Programs for Youth, has a health screening they do of any young person admitted to the hall. You know, so we know that if a young person's at the front door potentially going to be admitted to the hall, there needs to be a health screening to make sure that they can come in. But that assessment actually asks for a lot of other things um, that have kind of been wrapped in over the years into that health assessment, including things like histories of sex abuse, right? You know, we don't, I think we really need to ask ourselves in that moment. What do we actually need to know to safely admit a young person to the hall? And what does it need to come in a moment with someone with whom they don't have a relationship? And in a moment where they feel fundamentally traumatized and unsafe, right? So, you know, I think a lot of it's just practice. But we need to ask ourselves why, and then to your point, that's a, it's a health screening. So, actually, it's confidential, right? So, is there any rationale for them asking things that then they can't share back for case planning and that they don't really need to know in that moment? Right? So that's a, that's a 1 example. Um, you know, I think CARC has a great assessment that they've done over the years. It's very long and involved, right? They're in a different space when they're asking those questions. They're in community. It's a conversation. They can sometimes ask some of it now and some of it later, but to your point. Once they've asked a young person all of those pages of questions, how do we make sure that no one ever has to ask again? And is there a different way to do that? So, so Denise Coleman from CARC, for example, is in those conversations, right? Um, we've had SPY come and present their piece of it. They came to one of the meetings to share that piece, the health piece. Um, but uh, all it's all of it. It's like, what does the law require us to know? What do we just really need to know? And like, when do we really need to know it? And when don't we, and when are we asking things to kind of. Feel like we asked them, but without really being intentional about why we need to know that thing. And then, in terms of data sharing, you know, this is an important question. Um, you know, 1 thing we do know is that for to be able to share information, we will need in some cases and most usually we will need consent of parents. Right? To talk about a young person. So how does that fit into the mix as well?
1: Understood yeah, I just wasn't sure if this was something obviously that was a technological issue, but I, I didn't think through about how we also have the legal obligations that we have to ask certain things and then um, and so forth. But yeah, I mean, if obviously. There's not going to be a new system created out of this, but I mean, it feels like there'd be like use. Down the road for some kind of portal where, you know, you can sign in youth has their information in there. It doesn't have to be asked again. Only people with certain access can get to it. Um, and then you know moves its way down the track um, without having to you know, impose that upon the youth again and again to keep asking the same kind of difficult questions.
7: Yeah, I think it's complicated. There's ways to, to do it and it's complicated. The, the other thing I would note is um, I'll give the Prison Rape Elimination Act as the other example. So that's federal legislation. It's for any place of detention, juvenile halls and jails. And it requires a very intense set of screening questions of a person in detention. Um, but again, the, you know, there are different ways to ask the questions. And right now, they're very institutional sounding and very difficult for young people to answer. So, you know, what are the ways that we can get the information in that is trauma-informed, um, that takes into account young people's... Like gender expression, sexual orientation, all the things that really haven't been part of that mix and those very institutional tools.
0: Understood,
1: Commissioner Broad. Can I see your hand raised?
6: I guess it's permanently raised. <laughs> 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 I hadn't been aware that I erased it, but you know, since I have had a lot to say about this, um, I will just. Uh, make a few comments, you know, it's my understanding that the, the major players in this, uh, particularly the people in the Juvenile Justice Providers Association, um. Who, uh, you know, I know well, uh, want to continue this process and I certainly don't want to stand in the way of that. Um.
7: Although I don't
6: retract <laughs> any of my previous comments. But, um, and I do want to appreciate th- something that you've said chief that I feel like clarifies uh, things for me, which is the process you intend to go through with this information, um, which is to. <laughs> gather it. I'm sorry, you guys, I'm not in good shape tonight, <laughs> <laughs> which is to gather and, um, I can't. Um, But to identify points of disagreement, bring in the other players that are relevant and then you make a decision Mm -hmm. (laughs) because my understanding is there are plenty of points of disagreement Um, and so it was unclear to me. One of the things I was concerned about all along was, you know, what's the decision making process here? What what, what on earth comes of all of this? So, you know, and I make it very clear that, you know, have certain biases about this, which is about getting the community involved not just at the beginning but before the beginning you know so and it's, and the devil is in the details in all of this and um it's hard stuff and i appreciate that that's the process you want to go through and you know i have heard ups and downs of this and <laughs> you know it's great it's terrible it's the worst thing I ever did, it's, you know, it's, it's worth it. So, um, but I feel like there is an absolute consensus that people want to continue this that there are some good work um, coming out of it. And the clarity about what you intend to do really makes alleviate some of the concerns I had from the beginning.
7: So, thank uh, you. so yeah, thank you commissioner. I, I'm so heartened to hear that and. You know, I, I think that 1 of the reasons, I mean, I think, like, I'm very clear eyed that there will be places where people do not agree. And that is where I think the analysis is important. What are the pros and cons of doing things 2 different ways or 10 different ways? Right? Like, let's have it. Let's do our best thinking together. And then we just need to move forward. Um, I will share that. Uh, when we, when 3rd sector did do these meetings, you know, where we brought all the groups together, they did do a little polling kind of on a scale of 1 to 4 of did people feel like this was kind of productive going in the direction they wanted and. Uh, you know, we're all like, wait, I'm like, biting my nails waiting to see what people are going to say, because it's been a hard process and 72% of the folks who answered it, gave it a 3 or a 4 in terms of like this being a productive use of people's time. And I think that's really important because. You know, to your point, it can be the best thing. It can be the worst thing and it can feel that way all in 1 meeting. (laughs) So, so I really, I really appreciate people staying in the space and in those hard conversations.
0: Commissioner shorter. Yes,
10: this is very, um. Um, encouraging, um, in terms of. Trying to eliminate, um, you know, this gauntlet of. (laughs) You know, 2020 uh, 20 questioners um, along the way, I I definitely I've, I personally uh, have worked with with um, young folks who. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's rather. Trying and it can be just traumatizing, but ultimately it's, it's just invasive. Uh, we want to know, you know, as much as we, as we can, but ultimately. Is is that is that child is that youth safe? Um, are they a danger to themselves or others in the. Moment of, of intake and then certainly the other. Types of 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 questions around health, etc. cetera, obviously are are required right in order for you to enter the facility that you're not. Um, um posing a uh, viral threat or um you your immune system may you know uh, be compromised and we we need to be um um careful about those things but i'm just i i i am interested as you do go along those things that we legally have to to ask what's not so legal and then you know what is um May or may not be necessary, or it becomes more necessary as relationship is built. Trust is built uh, later down the line, Um, but are there I I would imagine and I don't mean to put our new commissioner on the spot. um, This is I'm not trying to open up a. A a debate here, but just um, I imagine that. In going through a lot of those those questions and trying to gather, not just information about the youth, a lot of this is well-meaning and well-intentioned. We want to know what we, we can know, right? To have a, a holistic approach um, to support um, you know their uh, development. But how much of this, it seems that uh, some of these questions are, the data that you're trying to collect are are required is required, right? For funding and for different funding sources, federal, state, you know, local ordinance, you know, all sorts of things. So and who those questioners are, I would imagine it may be attendant to some of the sor- those 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 sources of 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 funding that it is required that a person of um particular degree or credential, uh MSW or whatever is the one asking those questions. Does that make sense? So yeah, yeah so in terms of is, is is some of this is um a consequence of trying to make sure that we satisfy the re, the the data collection so that we know more about the populations. We know, but we really want to know more about that individual and what their situation is. And so, as an aggregate, we're getting all this this data to satisfy um, a number of of um, requirements for funding.
4: Yeah one one question that came up to me, which is related, is whether a lot of these uh, assessments are standardized, right? They've been developed and are used with Other populations, and it's a series of questions that need to all be asked in order to give you a certain score. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to pick some um, and not ask others. Then you're you're kind of deviating from that standardized version of that tool, and and the quality of the information it gives you is potentially less. I don't know if that's the case because I I don't know the details of these um, specific uh, assessments. Although I'm happy to look into it, but that's the one thing that sticks out for me is. You know, you see it a lot in surveys where you have this big long survey. You don't want to ask all the kids in a school this big long survey, so you just pick these couple items. Mm -hmm. But then you can't say anything about the overall thing that you want to talk about, like safety or you know community or whatever the kind of bigger thing is that you want to address. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
7: and and I will say this is part of why it's taking so long to understand all of this, right? (laughs) And. You know where do i mean to your point commissioner like like where do we use those kind like where are we using predictive tools where are we just using tools that ask the questions we need to ask and then do we like even need to ask all of those questions mm-hmm. it's a great thing that we're happy to talk about kind of at a future meeting in more depth because i do think it's a super nuanced conversation mm-hmm. um and they're still in the work right now of figuring it all out um but i think those are all those are all important questions right like what do we need to ask for the young person, you know, commissioner shorter, there are things we are beholden to knowing and then commissioner Lego, you know, are we messing with tools? Are we doing things in ways that undermine the, the value of of asking questions in the 1st place? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a huge quagmire and I'm really glad that group of people has the patience to sit through it.
10: <laughs> Great. Thank you.
0: Thanks commissioner.
1: other questions or comments about the chiefs update on third sector and the work they're doing seeing none is that the conclude the chiefs report
7: it does thanks everybody
1: thank you All
0: right and
1: In terms of committee reports, I think the only committee report was that the finance committee met last month. And received essentially the same presentation that was presented tonight by the department, um, at which point we made. Uh, some recommendations that Steve and Maria and the chief implemented for the presentation that was given tonight. Um, so I thank you commissioner shorter for. Your efforts and advice and counsel and recommendations that were provided at the finance committee meeting and look forward to future meetings where we can dive in on the numbers.
6: And I just say something about the program committee. Which, sure. Yeah, which did not meet, but um, I worked with the chief and um, about an agenda for the next meeting and I wanted people to know what was on the agenda for the next meeting. Um, and if any of my fellow. Program committeeers <laughs> who I asked if I had but you know ha- have something else, but basically an update for other commissioners who are interested and can come um, on the situation with warrants on the situation with the a b twelve young people who have graduated and the ones about to graduate who you know were very concerned about, and lastly uh, the status of uh, uh several out of home placement. Options, the resource families, the Catholic Charities Boys Home, and um, the uh, news that Edgewood has given up its STRTP license. So we are close to having no group homes in San Francisco that can take kids in our system. So that's another topic. So we'll try to get updates on that at the program committee.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Rodkin. Oh, Up, she-
7: Ariano. I'm sorry, I forgot to say one last thing in my report because I didn't have a slide for it, which should tell us all that I really need my slides. I just wanted to share um, because it's Black History Month and we haven't acknowledged it. That I just wanted to share the way that the department is honoring it, which is that for the first time, um, I think we've ever done this, we're having a book club this month, and everybody voted on what book we wanted to read as part of Black History Month. Um, So, if you also want to read it, the winner is, uh, you can't see it because of my background, but it's The Sum of Us by Heather McGee, which is an amazing, fantastic book. Um, This is my second copy because my older son had to take my first copy to college because it was required reading for his entire college freshman class. Um, So, folks haven't heard of it, The Sum of Us. So, at JPD, we're going to be reading it and discussing it as a group, but just wanted to also... uh, let the commission know that that's one of the ways that we're celebrating the month. So I forgot because it's right next to me and not on the screen.
6: Great book. That's Thank fabulous. Love uh, can, uh, Um. I apologize, uh, <laughs> President Orlando. Um. I forgot to ask as part of the chief's report. We all. I, I keep getting um, emails um, about situations in the juvenile hall and. Um, uh, I think we've all gotten them and about an incident that occurred and I just would feel remiss if I didn't uh, ask the chief as I told her, I would um, uh, to explain that situation. Since these are letters that are going to us that are going to the mayor and the board of supervisors and. Um, I think that it's important that we take them seriously and in addition, you know, maybe as part of the data report, if a staff or young person has been injured in the past month, I think it might be important to report that out on a regular basis. If that in fact happens.
7: Thank you. Thank you for reminding me about it as well, commissioners. So we did have a situation. Uh, about a week ago, where one of our young people did assault and severely injure one of our uh, juvenile hall staff. Um, that juvenile hall staff is out now on on leave. Um, they are have kind of significant medical treatment that they're undergoing, and that young person is one of the and he's an adult. The young person's over eighteen, um, which makes it a little bit easier for me to talk here. It was an adult offense because he's because of his age. He is 1 of the 2 young people commissioner who's at county jail now. Um, I do know that in the communication that you received from this individual who is an individual who has never communicated with me. Um, that they noted to you that the, that young person had been released on bail. Um, that is incorrect. That young person has been held without bail in county jail because of the nature of the incident. So it's going through both investigation and prosecution by the DA's office, but we are also, of course, doing our own internal investigation about any factors that led to it happening that we need to address. So we're in the process of that um, and his case has been charged by the DA.
1: Thank you, commissioner for raising that serious issue Um, and perhaps chief, if you can let us know about. Um, the process that unfolds, as you gather information, as well as, um, the health of the individual who was injured, um, you know, I'm sure the commission would love to ensure um, that we get regular updates about that.
7: Well,
14: do
1: are there any other questions or comments for the chief as part of her chief's report before we go ahead and uh, open up for public comment. All right, uh, for members of the public who would like to speak about item seven, the chief's report, uh, we will open up public comment, press star three on the line to be added to the phone line. Uh, and at this time, I'll ask our secretary, Ms. Silvery, do we have any emails or voicemails?
2: Not at this time.
0: And go ahead. We do have someone with their hand raised. Thank you. Go ahead.
14: Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Dinky Manikenti and I am the Deputy Director at the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice and the Co-Chair of the Juvenile Justice Providers Association. I'd like to start by thanking the Chief for an extraordinary array of PowerPoint presentations tonight um, and for all the wonderfully informational new slides that have been added to the deck. I personally continue to find this level of transparency from the Department as a breath of fresh air and greatly value and appreciate the partnership the Chief has offered. Um, Please note the remainder of my public comment um, today is on behalf of the entire Juvenile Justice Providers Association. Please note the association has engaged in thorough discussions and deliberations on a biweekly basis for the past few months regarding the work of the third sector JPD, and community sessions, though our members in all three work groups continue to be frustrated with the process as it often feels redundant, sometimes overly juvenile in content, has not often recognized the expertise of the members who have intricate day-to-day knowledge of the system, and community members are not even compensated for their time. We would like to note that the association has decided, as Commissioner, Margaret, uh, sorry, Commissioner Brodkin mentioned earlier, um, that the association has decided to support the continuation of Phase 3 with belief that changes will and are starting to occur to address these matters. We do hope, prior to this last portion of the process, that all members and facilitators are able to receive guidance and coaching from the chief to prioritize and develop a heightened laser focus on achieving momentous, creative recommendations for change, particularly moving away from the status quo. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Are there other speakers at this time that would like to speak about item 7 during public comment? There's no one else in the public comment queue. Thank you. Again, I'll just give it one more second. Star 3 to be added to the line uh for public comment on item 7. Are there any speakers at this time? Still no one at this time. Thank you. We'll close item 7. Thank you, Chief. Uh, as well as Selena and Maria, and all of the department staff that uh, work every month to compile the excellent update that the department provides. Uh, We really appreciate it. Uh, and we'll go ahead and take item 8, the juvenile probation commission retreat, as well as agenda items for the retreat. And I'll hand it over to commissioner Brodkin, who I know has been spearheading this effort.
6: Yeah, thank you. And it ended up being a committee of um, because, uh. Commissioner Chu was going to be on this committee, so it was uh, myself and the chief who met to sort of talk about what made the most sense. And this is what we're proposing. But the thing is, we still don't know when we can do this in terms of meeting in person. That seems like an important aspect of this. So we will wait to get our direction from the mayor. And the health department about when we can plan this, the basic agenda is as follows that there would be a a very brief sort of over state of juvenile justice overview. And I think that should be very brief um, because, you know, we may have some new commissioners, et cetera, but that the bulk of the meeting will be talking about the goals um, and that the chief would present her goals. For the department, Um, and I want to suggest that that happen ahead of time. So people have plenty of time to look at it. And then we would talk about what our role is in relation to those goals, Um, because that's sort of the core of the discussion. What's I'm sorry, I'm having trouble talking. (coughs) So that would be the bulk of the retreat. And a 2nd item would be um, how we function as a commission specifically um, how we organize the agenda and how and when we um, make decisions. So, I feel like in order, we both agreed. I think that in order to do this, we really could use a really good facilitator. Um, because it's hard for 1 of us to actually as brilliant as we all are to, um, you know, participate and. Um, and for it to be a a, a neutral facilitation, I I do have a proposal for a possible facilitator. I don't know what the commission would want to do in relation to that. Um, I could put the name out there, but, um. I, I wanna see what people think of the agenda and the idea of having a facilitator and doing it when we can meet in person. I think we also uh talked about how long, long this event should be. Um and I okay guys, not, um maybe between <laughs> five days three and four hours that. that <laughs> Look, that's shorter than the meetings that we have um thinking and so, but maybe um, you know uh when we talk about it it could depend in part how much pre thinking people can do and pre work we can do, and what uh, a facilitator would suggest it would a time frame for. This discussion to occur, but I think we'll do really well if we have a really tough mean facilitator who (laughs) will keep us on target myself included.
1: I think that all makes sense. I love the idea of the overview um, to kick it off. Um, And I know chief uh, chief Miller has, um, you know, talked with me about, you know, providing an update of that nature just so it's a good refresher for uh, all of us as well as for um you know new commissioners and just always good to understand exactly what um you know how how we can affect the process as a commission and what our roles are and what the department's role is and all that um i think that i mean perhaps our secretary can enlighten me i think our previous retreat that we did many years ago was Along the same lines as that, I mean, maybe three hours. So I, I think that makes sense as long as we obviously uh, make time as well for for breaks and and all of that, so that we're not just powering through. But um, I, I think that it all makes sense to me, and I, I also really like the idea of just getting back to basics and figuring out, you know, things like how do we set the agenda, what how you know how do we set policy moving forward. Um, Because, as we know, uh, hearing earlier about the closed juvenile hall work group, we're going to be having a lot of uh, work uh, coming before us here in the next few months. Once the board of supervisors decides which uh, recommendations to implement. So, um, I think the big uh, question mark, I guess, would be, when can we meet in person? Uh, I know that the mayor removed the mask mandate uh, for most indoor places uh, today. Um, but I still don't know the rules around, uh, bodies of, uh, commissioners meeting together. So, um, I guess, perhaps, uh, deputy city attorney, Clark, do we have any guidance on when commissions could start meeting again?
13: Um, no, I know that that's being discussed, but I don't know if there's been any final decision or any. Um, you know, any guidance issued, I don't think there has been, okay. but I know they're talking about it right now.
7: Great. I, if it's, if it's helpful, um, President Ariano, and then I'm actually going to go off camera because I have a splitting migraine, but, um. Uh, public meetings in general are allowed to start on the 28th of the month. Um, I just don't know how that relates to things like commissions and the complication is that the actual bodies can meet in person. But you have to have the capacity for community members to watch remotely and participate remotely. So I'll just, that's what we we are trying to work it out with like the other bodies of meetings that we have. So I'll just share that that's the information that we've received.
8: I can forward you the information as well, because it's actually not that we can meet, it's that we're mandated to meet. So I don't, unless that changes with um, a new order, uh, it would mean that come March, all public bodies are meeting in person, but I'll, I can send the presentation that we received to Pauline. Yeah, and I don't okay.
13: think that that's I think that's definitely the, the date that's being considered. I just don't think it's final yet. Um, and I think the way the rules work is you have to meet in person unless there is this emergency order in effect. And I don't think that that's been rescinded yet. I think that's where we are.
6: So, it would be nice to meet in April and to meet in a place that had a lot of outdoor air, you know? Place where we could have like big windows open. I don't know what the constraints are, uh, Jana, about you know where we could do this. Um, but uh, well,
13: it would be if you meet somewhere other than where you normally meet. And I know this is all different because it's COVID. But um, which is City Hall, right? Or then you have these two community meetings. Then you just have to give more notice. I think it's 15 days notice for the meeting. But otherwise, you can meet somewhere other than where you normally meet.
1: Understood
6: so, if people have ideas and want to let me uh, chief, know, or if anybody else wants to be part of our little committee, I'm not sure how much more planning we intend to do. I think the important thing is that we do some of this work ahead of time so that we're just not starting from scratch.
1: No, I think I, I, I love the idea of moving forward with uh, having basically everything on an apparel parallel track. So that as soon as we understand when we can meet uh, in person, we can just go ahead and flip the switch and do that. Um, obviously, when we find a venue that we can will accommodate us and so forth. Commissioner Moses, you had your hand raised.
9: Yeah, I just have a very quick question for uh, commissioner brackets. So you're talking about facilitator? or is that going to be. Stiping for that person, and um, can we get another um, resume in addition to what you got? So, let me tell
6: you who I I was thinking about just because she's the best facilitator. I know. I don't know. if People know Nancy Rubin. She was she ran jail services for the health department. She ran the health department in Marin. She was deputy director of the health department in uh, L. A. And uh, she ran Edgewood for a number of years. She's just a fabulous facilitator. And just coincidentally, if you know her husband, Jimmy, he was the 1st, president of the juvenile probation commission, which is kind of an interesting connection. So, um. I think she's great, but if you wanted to interview her and review her resume or had other people, we should consider. Um, I think that would be just great.
0: Yeah, but my question is, is that. Or is, it
9: oh,
6: should we pay her? I, uh, my, my sense is you pay somebody. To do that, you know, you, and in terms of our budget, it's, it's really not. Not a huge chunk of the budget, so but you pay the going rate for somebody to prepare and do it, and maybe write a follow up report.
13: Just we should talk to, and I can
6: discuss it offline with the chief
13: and and Commissioner Broadken. But there, you might end up having to bid it out, depending. Um, mm-hmm. So we uh, just right. depending on what, how much it is and things like that. But we can, I can, I'll email you about that. We can talk about that offline. We don't have to do that now.
10: Makes sense. Yeah, I would imagine we'd also whether it goes out to to bid or not. Um, that we as a, a, a commission have, you know, some description, some sort of criteria, what we, what we need and then that. Way um, any potential candidate. Um, you know, make sense in terms of what it is that we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah. Nancy's. Nancy's great. There's no doubt about it.
6: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could develop that. Um, and then. You know, maybe it would be so little money we wouldn't have to go out to bid, which is just such a pain in the ass. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So. Jen, if you can let, let, let me know we can sort of proceed from here.
0: Okay. Great. I agree Nancy's yeah,
9: she's really good. Wonderful. Oh, she's... <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I guess we'll uh obviously put ourselves in a holding pattern um to understand the guidelines around when we can meet in person um and um Commissioner Brodkin and Chief um if you could just perhaps provide regular updates about um any other uh, future changes um, that we can discuss as we move closer towards April, we would appreciate it as a commission.
6: Um, and do people feel okay about Saturday?
9: Are you guys getting ready to ask for that?
6: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I see some shaking heads.
6: Everyone going, no. <laughs> I, I can't I,
1: remember, I think we did ours. Uh, on a weekday, like in the middle of the day, I can't recall how we were able to manage that.
6: Yeah, how did you?
1: And I think we did it just like in the middle of the day. Um, and we used room two hundred one. I recall. Um, as a result, I think maybe that what that's how we did it is that we did room two hundred one at the time, um, and we had, we were able to get use of it for I think three hours.
6: Well, yeah, what's that's
1: two oh one, excuse me. Uh I believe it's the mayor's uh oh, conference room uh, on the second floor of the hall. But, but, yeah, I mean uh I think that really it'll be more about it sounds like maybe the the venue and its availability and potentially its ability to host uh a teleconference component may be the factor that really decides. Yeah. uh where we, where, and when we can do it, because I'm sure that that will be, I don't know, like, what kind of support we would get from obviously um, Department of technology or, or it. But I think that. Um, a room that obviously has high speed Internet and can support. Um, public access, I think is going to be probably the biggest impediment in my judgment.
0: Yeah,
10: the other thing is that sometimes on Saturdays too, um we had to be mindful of just sort of staff time, um, you know, working beyond or outside of the Monday through Friday schedule, and also just public um, participation. Um, but yeah,
6: could we take a straw vote now um, about what you know? H- how many people would really prefer not to do it on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> you don't get two votes. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that is a challenge to find a weekday. Yeah.
12: Maybe Let's keep,
1: a- we can keep at it. And obviously, I think, you know, I, I really think that the venue itself, that, you know, we're hitting a moving target here with ventilation. IT and availability. And I think that, you know, let's let's start to think through. I urge everyone to put their thinking caps on. And if there's any kind of venue that comes to mind, um, I think that's really gonna be the driver for a lot of this, um, especially when we're gonna be asking not just for you know an hour meeting, but potentially three, three plus uh hours uh of the venue's time. So, but also um perhaps Jana, if you could let us know, um The guidelines around the, the requirements that we're going to have to meet for, for just making sure we're adhering to the public to be able to comment remotely. um, I think that would be helpful.
13: Are you asking Would they have to yeah, it's going to be a brown act meeting. So you're going to, they're going to, you're going to have to be able there. There will have to be an opportunity for public comment. Is, was that your question? Yeah. Sorry about that. I didn't understand.
1: Just so, so it, because it's a Brown Act meeting, we just have to treat it like a regular commission meeting. Is that That's right?
13: Correct. That's correct.
1: Perhaps um, I'm trying to think through. I mean, we can obviously take it offline, but there's got to be a city facility that, you know, can meet this requirement. Um, I'll, I think we're just probably not able to come up with it right now. I know that in previous years, we've done the main library at times
3: for a you lot of- can do, You can do, I, I'm gonna tell you, I do it regularly. So War, War Memorial actually has a facility down in the green room that you can actually use that actually does that and 201, but you won't be able to do them on a Saturday because of the labor laws mm-hmm. and having city workers come in and, and, facil- and help you out with, with everything that's needed so um but them two city buildings and like you said the library as well but on a saturday you have to realize they have to the staff they they have to staff it in that process so saturday will be hard but with with advanced notice you can end up in war memorial or in room 201 and each one of them has the um the ability to do virtual at the same time
10: there's also 25 uh, Van Ness and across yes. the street um,
3: and 7th uh, floor.
10: Right, exactly. And then um, there's also uh, at Venice, South Van Ness and market um, where um,
1: where MTA is,
10: yeah, MTA is. There's also a large um, they're meeting, you know, meeting areas. That's where we would meet for the census. Um, so, um, the, you know, the census, uh. Um, team and coalition. But there's yeah, there's a number of places th- that are part of the, the city. um, You know,
1: so perhaps um, I'll, I'll work with um, Pauline and we can maybe put together a list and then go around and just make calls and see what availability is like in April. So that if we do have the ability, we can just gauge what exactly we can work with and then, uh, perhaps at the next meeting, um, the decision can be made on a potential venue. Once we have an idea of what's available.
10: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, maybe late
6: afternoon. Maybe 2 to 530, something like that.
1: That sounds around roughly around like what we did for the previous one. It was like
3: one to four or
1: two to five yeah. around
3: there. I think the key is securing a venue first and then we just and see what times are available. I think the venue is gonna determine your times. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there
1: any further question or comment about item eight, the juvenile probation commission retreat and Agenda items, we'll open it up for public comment uh, for members of the public. Please press star 3 to be added. To the line and Ms. Silveray, do we have emails or voicemails.
0: None at this time and no one has a hand raised. Thank you,
1: we will go ahead and. Close item number. 8 and move to. Item 9 election of the president and vice president for the commission. Uh, This will take effect at the next meeting in March. And I believe I can't recall anymore if the terms are 1 year or 2 years, um, but. I'll open up the floor for nominations for
3: uh first president hey, you know i I've been thinking about this when you first talked about um stepping down President Ariano, and I was saying, you know like with with our commission now, it was like who who has the time and because you know we know your job is a job you know it's like you do it we do it for free but you know we know it is a job in itself and who has the time and who would be our best person that's gonna be um invested in the commission and moving the commission forward in a, you know, and putting a commission on the right path that we're trying to go on and moving this thing. So I, myself and I, you know, um, I don't always agree with what they say and what they do sometimes, but I know they are determined and they have a go getter kind of demeanor. And I myself will, you know, I will nominate, Um, Commissioner Brockett for president just because of her uh, go-get kind of demeanor and um, just knowing that she is so determined to to improving and building this commission out. So um, I would nominate Commissioner Brockett for president uh, on that one. So um, I will let that float for a minute and you all, if any other commissioners have anything else on the president piece.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Spangola. Do I have a second to the nomination? I see uh, Commissioner Shorter with her hand raised.
10: Yes. You beat me to it, James. Oh. Uh, wow. but that was beautiful. Yes, absolutely. I I would second that um heartily. Um and I think that I, I just want to echo what James has said. Uh, Margaret is one of our, our premier Um, advocates for youth and children, youth and families, um, and has certainly. Taken to to heart and dedication, um, the mission of this commission and the department. And, um, I think that as we move into the next phase, next chapter, um, she is, is, um. Certainly, um, a member of our commission. But a leader in our community that I think would be, um, it would be very befitting for her to, to be president. I also want to say, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Joe. Um, I have only been on the commission for a a short period of time, uh, not quite a year yet. It has been uh, certainly uh, adventurous. Um, and I've as much as I, I'd like to think that I've known about the probation department. I always learned something uh, a little different and, um, it, thank you for your, your guidance. Um, and your, your leadership of, uh, this commission, especially during these last couple of years with, you know, in during this pandemic and I know what it's like to preside over. Uh, a commission and it is not always easy um, but you have done so um, um, so um, you know gracefully and, and wonderfully and so know that you are appreciated i'm i'm glad that you're gonna stick around uh, and continue to to contribute on on the on the commission and help us move uh, help the commission and the department move forward for the for the community so uh with that second um to commissioner Brockens, uh nomination again thank you
1: joe thank you and before i go ahead and put that to a vote i see commissioner moses hand raised as well
9: yeah i want to anchor what um um commissioner shaw said too i also worked with him um, commissioner Brockins many many years ago we were on um youth and education of human rights commission many, many years ago. Also too, I'm still on um, program with her. So I've seen her how how she do everything. She just um full of energy. So we're hoping that she will transfer that to Fear Spot. You know, I know Joe, you know a wonderful job. I like the way you uh, you uh, conduct the meeting very respectively. And um, you are just and I know your your feet is probably hard to feel, so uh, I'm sure Commissioner Bracken will be a very good replacement for you. So thank you,
1: Commissioner. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Shorter as well. Uh, and I'll echo as well that uh, I think that the time is right for a change at the top, and I think that there's no other commissioner that uh, would be. A uh, better fit for the position than commissioner Brodkin to come in at a time, especially uh, this week uh, fittingly that we are having a huge debate at the board of supervisors. That requires uh, her fierce advocacy to really. Uh, hit home all of the. Uh, importance that needs to be uh, relayed to the board of supervisors uh, about how difficult uh, the transition will be. But how important it is that we get it right, and so I can't think of any other uh commissioner to express those concerns, and even more importantly, a commissioner that will call and find and hunt down every supervisor that she needs to ensure that we do the right thing for the youth um and I know that that's what Commissioner Brodkin will do, so I appreciate the nomination, and I appreciate Commissioner Brodkin and everywhere uh everyone else for their kind remarks, and I think we should go ahead and take a vote. Uh, now, uh, be, I guess we have to do public comment before we do, but-
10: well, we, uh, we have to see if if Margaret Brocken accepts- yeah. The- yeah. Oh, do correct. I get to correct.
6: accept this? <laughs> <laughs> I am so touched, you guys. I I thank you so much for a voice of confidence. It would be an honor to- To be the president of this commission and to follow in Joe's footsteps, Um, you lead a good meeting, Joe, and I will need a little bit of coaching uh, at the beginning, you know, about uh, making sure the meeting runs smoothly. Um, Yeah, it would be exciting for me. It would be fun uh, to help us through this next phase of our of our exciting work. and to support our chief and to support the plan that we were, you know, we are undertaking and to see that it is implemented in the way we all hope hope for. So, um, I see it as my role as president to make sure every commissioner <laughs> his voice is heard and is enthusiastically involved in all the work that we do. So it would be, it would be uh an honor for me to accept your nomination
1: <laughs>
6: <laughs> thank
1: you commissioner I, we may just have to ask uh the controller for an increased city attorney budget because i'm going to be <laughs> worried about the uh we're going to be buttoning up against those guardrails with commissioner brodkin i know
6: yeah Jalen and i will have to become best friends here
1: <laughs> attach at the hip <laughs> yeah. But I, I I truly appreciate you uh you know willingness to take on this uh task and I just uh have the utmost confidence that again you will have the the uh right state of mind for what we need at this point and just always taking into account the youth. I think uh, you know the number one thing that is the guiding principle of all the work and advocacy that you do commissioner is just what is the best in the interest of the youth? And I think that right now that is paramount in this discussion. So, I, I really appreciate you and your willingness to take this on uh, and we look forward to your stewardship. Thank you. Can we have a roll call vote on the nomination? or uh, I guess uh, deputy city attorney do we need to. Uh, have public comment before we vote on each nomination. Uh, yes. Okay, so we'll have open it up for public comment on the nomination of commissioner Brodkin to serve as president of the juvenile probation commission. Please press star 3 to be added to the line. It was a hand raised a few seconds ago, but. Not at this time, Just give it maybe few seconds, again, star three to raise your hand to be added to the line to speak uh, during public comment for the nomination of Commissioner Brodkin as president of the commission.
12: Yes, we do have someone
0: now.
14: Sorry, everyone. Hello, commissioners. Uh, This is I again from CJCJ and JJPA. Um, Didn't plan on making an additional public comment, but I'd be remiss if I didn't. We in the community and amongst the JJPA um, value, acknowledge, and appreciate um, the lifetime of work that Commissioner Brodkin has put into the field, heart, blood, sweat, and tears in in a way that I don't think everyone understands and uh, can't express enough how excited we are um, about this nomination.
3: Thank you so much.
10: And we have
1: someone else.
3: Uh good evening, everyone. My name is Nate Ford, uh, San Francisco Rebels. Um, Ms. Brocken probably don't know me, but I've known her name for years, and you guys could not made a better choice than Ms. Brocken. She's gonna knock down some doors and make sure our youth voices are heard. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you.
1: No one else at this time. Thank you. Uh and also Miss Silveray, do we have any uh emails or voicemails?
2: No emails.
1: Thank you. Uh with that, we'll open it up for a roll call vote on the nomination of Commissioner Brodkin for president.
2: President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner laco Aye. Commissioner Moses. Aye. Commissioner Shorter. Aye. Commissioner Spengola. Aye. Motion passes. Congratulations, President Rodkin.
12: Thank
6: you.
1: Congratulations.
6: Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: I, just, now, oh, you, you
6: I think you get to vote for yourself, though, you know. <laughs> <laughs> <Too late. laughs>
1: uh we will now open up uh for nomination of vice president of the commission i see commissioner moses your hand is raised
9: i'd like to nominate commissioner andrew shorter
1: excellent choice
6: i would like to second that
1: commissioner shorter will you serve as commissioner brodkin or president brodkins veep <laughs>
10: Yes, I would be delighted to do so. And I thank you for the nomination. (laughs) Thank you. I just had like, you know, Veep the HBO (laughs) show in my head and then I had to race to Kamala Harris, but. Let's not go overboard. Well, I would I would uh, be delighted to do it.
1: Thank you. And I just want to say I've appreciated your voice on the commission uh, since you've joined. We've known each other for for many years now, uh, but I have just really uh, in really appreciated the honor of working alongside you on this commission and have appreciated your advocacy on all of the different issues that have come up over the past year that you've been a member and look forward to just your continued um, you know, voice to all the different issues that. Um, come before us, I think you've just bring a wealth of experience that I really, truly appreciate and thank you for serving uh, as part of the commission as well as, um, you know, hopefully as vice president.
3: Thank you. Joe. Thank you very much. Can I add to that? You know, 1st, um, I want to say too to Joe that, you know, we wouldn't get this far right if it wasn't for your leadership, Joe, through all these years. I didn't know you had been president for so many years until we. Was at the supervisors meeting and got reappointed. So your your leadership to get through these years of this commission has been great, and you have did it. And and since I've been on, and and believe me, I know you have bit your tongue and bit your <laughs> many many times. So now you know you are you know you're not sitting in a president role. You can be a little more you know. Um, outspoken and you know and Commissioner Brockett you know this you know like we don't always agree with what Commissioner Brockett is you know but hopefully that Vice President Shorter can balance all that out and say hey you know and start having these conversations about you know what's right because you know we all and like you said our our main goal is the youth right? Everybody here has some kind of passion because you wouldn't be sitting here doing this for free if you didn't have some kind of passion for our young people. And, you know, having that is the most important part of it all. And I think what we all bring to the table um, is going to make this work. And I think with this commission is, you know, it's, it's moving in the right direction. And I think with Vice President Shorter and president and brockin leading this commission i think we're 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 on that we're on that path to be um to make some changes and be part of this whole change when we talk about shutdown juvenile hall and what happens next with our young people cuz that's the important part i've been on the fence about a lot of things and you know um i'm not all i'm not all on board with just everything that you know goes on you know I live it I you know and everybody you know I heard a friend of mine on in the uh, in the uh, um public comments say something and I just you know for me and they know that you know I'm I'm embedded in in my community I'm I I do I do the work every day you know like I said and you know to know that you know we are gonna have a voice in a change in what happened to the young people that slips through our cracks and believe me, and I just heard Nate Ford on there and it's because of that work that we end up with seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and instead of 150 young people in juvenile is the reason why. It's because of some of the CBOs that we have that does that's doing the work on the ground that's stopping the young people to go from going. And our job is to put all of us out of business, really, and juvenile and everything else, so we shouldn't have one. So that's our job as CBOs and doing the work from the ground. But I think, you know, on this path that we're leading and this change that they're making when it comes to shut down juvenile hall and the alternative of what it's going to look like is going to be very important. And I think this commission with with experience is going to be, have to be a key to some of it because, you know, believe me, I do this work and it amazes me sometimes of some of the people that has a voice when it comes to our young people that shouldn't, that have not a clue what's going on with young people, but I know each and everyone on this commission has some kind of interaction and some kind of passion with our young people, for our young people. So I think this is great. I think vice president, president, I think you guys are gonna be a good drive and, you know, and I think you guys are gonna be open to some suggestions and what it looks like and it's always, you know, I love working with people that wanna do the work and make a change for the young people because you know, that's what we're here for, and that's what we should be doing. And like I said earlier, when I hear, it, it hasn't a lot changed. Having a lot has changed. When we all, every time we get on here, we talk about 70 and 80% of the young people in jail are African-American, Black, and they're only 4% of San Francisco. So that does not, until that changes, I'm going to keep pushing and doing what I do because I know that is up to me and so many other CBOs that, you know, have we have to change the narrative here. It has, something has to happen. And I think being here in this space makes it okay and makes me, it gives us an insight of what really going on from the outside looking in and from the inside looking out. So um, I think you guys are going to be great for these roles and thank you both for accepting the nominations and, let's 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 do what we are supposed to do and and be part of shut down juvenile hall and be part of what the new alternative looks like that's my two cents that's
1: all all right thank you commissioner spingola and i appreciate your remarks uh about my tenure as president as well and i would be remiss if i didn't uh Give credit to uh, the fact that I stand on the shoulders of the many presidents that came before me that I uh, sat and watched over the years when I first started on the commission. Uh, like people like Julian Chang and Rebecca Woodson and Susie Jones. I mean, people that um, you know really showed me the ropes uh, for how to handle a, a, a body of this nature where you are, um, you know. Handling a bunch of disparate voices and making sure that the meetings move swiftly and uh, efficiently. Um, But I really do truly appreciate all the remarks from from all of my colleagues um, and uh, look forward to what comes next in the many years to come. So, uh, with that, I believe we will go to public comment on the nomination of. uh, Commissioner shorter as vice president of the commission, so uh, star 3 to raise your hand, and we'll be added to the line for the nomination.
0: There is someone.
14: Hello, Commissioners, this is Dinky again, sorry. Um, I met Commissioner Shorter my first day at CJCJ 18 years ago. I am ever so confident that she can bring us together to do what's right for our youth. I know that her passion to best support our young people runs deep. Partnered with President Brodkin and Chief Miller, I am optimistic that we can see real reform in San Francisco led by a collaborative team of powerful women. Thank you so much. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Is there further comment about the nomination of Commissioner Shorter for Vice President? Star three to be added to the line.
0: No one else in the queue at this time. And Ms.
1: Silverite, do we have any emails?
2: No emails.
1: Thank you. Uh, can we please have a roll call vote on the nomination of Commissioner Shorter as Vice President?
2: President Broadkin. Aye. Commissioner Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Leku.
0: Aye.
2: Excuse me. Commissioner Moses. Aye. And Commissioner Spingola. Aye. Motion passes. Congratulations. Vice President Shorter. Thank you. Thank you all.
1: Thank you, everyone. Speech. (laughs) (laughs) Joking.
10: (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) <laughs> Good beat. Let's see. Dinner.
0: <laughs>
10: yes. Yeah. Oh, no. Thank nice you all very much. I, I appreciate that. And uh yeah, the, this may be the I didn't yeah. I even uh, Dinky recognized three uh formidable uh, <laughs> women um that um together as as a team with the the commission and and our community mm-hmm. partners. Yeah. It's been a A long time to get here. Um, we've been working, um, for. Some of these goals for some time together, uh, 1 way or another by hook or crook. Uh, over the years, and, um, so I'm absolutely honored and delighted to be any part of. Of that movement,
1: thank you. do we still have to, uh, to our deputy city attorney, uh, still have to take public comment on this item, or is it okay that we've already done public comment on the nominations?
0: I'm sorry, did you?
1: Did I just you wrote... I didn't know if we had to do a third public comment. Oh, for... no, no, I, I think
13: you're fine. Okay,
1: good. All right. We can close uh, item nine and move on to item 10 future agenda items. Are there future agenda items we'd like to have for our president and vice president to oversee uh, at the March meeting and beyond? It does seem like we have a full slate, but if there's anything, Commissioner Moses,
0: I was wondering if we can, you know, we
9: have a new city attorney. I was wondering if we can, you know, invite him to come
0: on share some of his views some of his vision for the Syrian country of san francisco
1: how do folks feel about that is that something we would exactly. like to invite our city attorney to
0: come and present
1: i guess that the one thing i would say is um perhaps to our deputy city attorney um we usually have a um Litigation review around this time, and is it prudent to schedule 1? Upcoming, if we do have any kind of pending litigation, we need to go through in closed session.
13: I mean, it's up to the commission. I mean, if that's something that the commission wants, then I'll reach out to the litigation team and. Get the information and be prepared to present it. It would be a, you know, as, you know, a closed session. Um, So. We'd have to do all, you know. Dot all the I's and cross all the T's to make that happen, but otherwise, I don't see why not. I mean, I don't know what else
6: you have on the agenda
0: that uh, I day. Think so,
6: we, we agreed some time ago that we would do this, you know, that we um, on some kind of regular basis, and may, maybe it must have been at least a year ago <laughs> that we decided to do this. So, I, I am not aware of litigation, but if there is, I think that would be a good thing to do.
0: We just be get acquainted. That's all I mean, of course, you could always invite the
13: city attorney. Um, I. I think it's usually what would happen is I would give the litigation. Update, um, or maybe someone from the litigation team, depending, um. On their availability and how many cases there are and things like that. Um, I mean, you could certainly invite uh the city attorney to do that but it wouldn't be the kind of thing they would normally do
3: sure sure i mean we can do that for me it would be a future agenda i think you know i'm for me it's always in commissioner moses not to say you know i mean with the new president new vice president i think more it's more of trying to pull our house together and seeing like where we going from here and this and especially with this this report coming out soon i would like to kind of just leave it kind of open to see what happens with this report and everything else that's going on so we can really kind of start tackling what the issues are i'm not for me and just to be honest i'm not just here to start meeting people. I don't I ain't, you know, I ain't trying to make a bunch of friends and I to meet a bunch of people, to be honest with you, city attorney or not. I mean, I love I'm trying to see what's happening with our young people in this juvenile and in this report and what these supervisors are planning on doing before we start, you know, inviting people into our space and having an agenda of what we right. want to talk to them about.
9: But for clarification, I'm not saying we should invite him next commission meeting. What I'm uh, saying is that just to get acquainted, maybe he can share his vision with us. We did it with Chief for police. We did it with some of the head of department. So I'm not saying we do it next month. I'm not saying we do it. It's uh, a um invitation. That's all.
3: Okay. I mean, yeah, later in the... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, commission. I'm just, you know, I just want to see what this this report and, you know, how these supervisors react to this report, and what's that next, you know, and see, you know, and maybe getting, you know, at some point getting them one of them supervisors up in front. I know that uh, a couple may not want to come, but getting them supervisors and see what them decisions was and why them decisions was made on their end. To kind of, you know, moving yeah, forward. Yeah, I
9: don't know them,
1: are there any other agenda items?
6: Um, I'll just say, um. Uh, uh, if people me. don't mind after the Friday hearing, if it does make sense to sort of hear from who 1 of the supervisors, or, you know, who uh, that. And they're willing to do it and it makes sense following what has happened. Um, I can take responsibility for. Issuing that invitation and. Making that call and if um, other people are going to be attending. Um, and that Anybody wants to make a recommendation about. What kind of uh, conversation needs to follow next Friday. Um, we can put that on the agenda.
1: It's a great idea and uh and I know that we had um supervisor Walton before he was president came and spoke to us and um presented his vision for what the legislation was trying to accomplish and so now that we're uh at the point where we're at the implementation phase I think it would be prudent after we see what happens on Friday to um have you know either him or supervisor Ronan or uh I believe the third sponsor was Haney Come and uh, one of them present to us and speak to the commission and the partnership and just overall their vision for how they want the recommendations. So I think that's a great idea.
6: I'll I'll work on that.
1: And then it sounds like a litigation review, perhaps um, to our deputy city attorney. If you could just check in with the litigation team, see if there is. Usually, there's a handful of cases, and if it makes sense, you you can obviously interface with President Brodkin uh, at the time and, and figure out if we need to do a closed session at a future meeting. Sounds good. Are there any other future agenda items. And announcements, uh, I just have 2. 1 is. I'm sure everyone else got the reminder uh, from the ethics commission, but just remember, we're coming up on April. So to get your form 700s in and also, um, I'm sure that our secretary will reach out about ensuring we get our. Annual sunshine and all the different trainings done so that we are in compliance. So urge you to look out for those and to fill out your form 700 and then also. To uh, my fellow commissioners, I want to just uh, give thanks to uh, supervisor, excuse me, to Commissioner Moses, Commissioner Spingola, um for uh, the reappointments. I know, Commissioner Shorter, you're still um, hanging out there, uh, but we, I think, will move forward with the courage and confidence that you will be joining us as well for another 4 years. But I just want to say thank you. Um, To everyone, it's been a pleasure to work with you and I just really appreciate uh, all the reappointments and look forward. I I really appreciated uh, sharing the uh, virtual dais with you last week in front of the Board of Supervisors Rules Committee and our conversation with uh, Supervisors Peskin and uh, Chan. Um, And so I really do appreciate you all and look forward to serving with you all uh, for the next 4 years and wanted to congratulate you on your reappointments because I don't think I was able to do so last week. So. Um, look forward to our continued work together. Commissioner Moses.
9: I just have one quick question for our new president. Since there's um program committee coming up, are you going to be wearing double hats? Or how's that go? Is that still gonna happen or what?
6: Well, I, I would like to talk to <laughs> Commissioner Arlano about, you know. How, how how to deal with committee appointments, right. so if anybody else is, is would like to chair the program committee. Um, I think that we ought to think about that. But for the next meeting, since I had already planned to, I will do that and then um, we can figure out what to do after that. And, you know, maybe. And we're also going to have to figure out how to structure ourselves. That's part of the retreat in light of the you know, implementation of the report. And do we have a program committee, or do we have a report implementation committee, or are they the same thing? Um, I think that. You know, we have a little bit of work to do, but meanwhile, um, I think the next meeting is a good one, because it's an update on a lot of things that the committee has dealt with, you know, in the last year and a half. And, and it might be an opportunity for our new commissioner to attend and sort of get a flavor for some of the issues that we're dealing with.
1: Very good point. Commissioner Brodkin uh, president Brodkin. I, um, I think that. That was absolutely going to make that recommendation that this is a great time to with a new commissioner on board um, with commissioner Lego joining us. I think it's a good time to reevaluate uh, committee assignments and structure. And so um, I always forget, and I'll have to have um, our deputy city attorney enlighten me on the process. I think you just have to ask. The, pe- the commissioners, if they would like to serve on the committee, and then once have you have their agreement, you just. Um, Make the recommendation, and I believe it's we have to do it in a public setting. So you make the announcement that the committees have been reshuffled and then um, give the public a chance to obviously weigh in and then it should be take effect. I don't think we have to vote on it, but again, I'll let let the deputy city attorney weigh in, but it's always a good time around the the election of the VP and the president to reevaluate all of that structure and uh, people that may want to shift to different committees.
6: And since that's what we're going to do at our retreat, too, I think that makes it all the more relevant. And as I understand it, we have 1 more opening on our commission, right?
1: We do. Yes, uh, because of the, um, and I guess I should announce as well for folks who did not hear, but uh, commissioner Chu did they submit her resignation i believe to the mayor's office yesterday to take a position i believe with the mayor's office um working on some of the same issues we work on about restorative justice so we urge her uh the best in her new role um but we do have a seat now that is vacant because of that
13: so the the question you asked about the process for committees it's so there there's no legal requirement for how you decide on who chairs committees. Um, it's all in your bylaws. It's bylaw five point oh two talks about, um, commit you know appointments to committees, um, and it, so it just says basically, the president shall preside at all meetings, blah, blah, blah. Um, and shall, in consultation with commissioners, appoint any and all committees of the commission and the committee chairs. The president shall be an ex officio member of all committees and have the right to participate in the proceedings of the commission committees. Um, but if, if, the, if the body's gonna act, then you, it should be an agenda item that, that um, where you allow public comment and it's noticed and things like that. But, but, but that's not how you guys have done it in the past. I don't think the body has usually voted. It's usually the president invites people to do it or ask people, I'm not sure what happens exactly. But anyway, it's, it's something that's set forth in your bylaws. You know, so, it's something that
1: the president can simply just make the announcement, say, hey, I've consulted with the, you know, the, my commission members and here's the structure that's going to move forward and just make the announcement. Right?
13: Yeah, except for, I mean, and I always feel like the hall monitor on this, but. You want to avoid having a seriata meeting. That's the only thing. So you want to invite 1 person to be on the committee and they say, yes, and but not to, like, you know, have a conversation outside of a public meeting that involves a majority of the members. Right. or the majority of the members of a subcommittee either. So, anyway, with that with that hall monitor advice.
1: Perfect. All right. If there are no other announcements, we'll go ahead and open public comment. Star 3 to be added to the line for item number 10. Is no one in the queue at this time and Ms Silver, Do we have any emails?
2: No, emails.
1: Thank you item is closed and we'll move to vote to adjourn. Uh, we are now adjourned. The time is 934 PM. Thank, Thank you everyone. guys.
2: Good night. See you. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> See you soon. Good
9: night. Good Thank night, you. Good night Ms. Madam president
6: good night (laughs) thank
3: you president vice president